Gordon to right field, backing up the right fielder, and it's gone! A walk-off for Alex Gordon and Kansas City! I've been going back and forth on how to start this. So much has happened since we signed off the last time. And uh, and I guess my decision was to not decide And while we were opening it to stammer around. Here at <laughs> <day>. <laughs> but we're out, of, we're out of shape and out of practice. But we're glad to be back. Uh, welcome to the Sportscasters Season 4. Uh, we're in the stretch run of Season 4. It's Episode 24. It's September 5th. There's no way it's September 5th yet. It's September 2nd, 2014. Yeah, the 5th is Friday. The 5th is Friday. Uh, we're recording on Tuesday. It's one of those fluid situations that literally just this second uh, finalized. Right before all that uh, Alex Gordon highlight was playing, I was emailing with ESPN PR to kind of finalize. So let's talk about this. Let's start with this. Uh, it's September. Football is here. College, pro. Baseball is winding down. Hockey and basketball are going to be starting soon. It's sort of the busy time for sports. It's sort of here. We, we dragged ourselves through the summer as best we can. Uh, we got sort of lucky because we were busy with other things. We didn't do as many shows in the summer as we normally do. Right. Uh, but I thought we had a great summer. Uh, we had some really good shows, uh, some good interviews. But this is what we're looking at right now. So today is sort of our kickoff uh, football show. Uh, most of the show is going to be football, and this is how we're going to break it down. Uh, we're very lucky to have Trey Wingo from ESPN for the second time uh, on the podcast. Wingo is going to join us to talk about the NFL, sort of preview the season with him. Uh, really excited to do that. While I was planning this, most of the time I figured it would probably be Tariko. But Tariko's had a, a crazy summer too. He was at the World Cup. Then he went right to the Open Championship in England. He took a few weeks off. And he's been doing preseason football and the tennis in New York. He's been calling that as well. So he didn't have a ton of time this week. So rather than try to rush it or, say, take 10 minutes with him or something like that, uh, working with ESPN PR, we figured let's let Monday Night Football get going for a week or two. We'll have him sometime in September. So Trico's going to be on soon, just not this week. Instead, I don't even think it's a consolation prize, really. I mean, Trey Wingo is one of the most... sure out there, stars of football programming on ESPN. So we're really excited to have Wingo on. Uh, Michael Fabiano, uh, Fantasy Football Hall of Famer with the NFL Network, is going to join us to talk about fantasy football. Because of when we had to do this, it's probably too late to really talk about drafts. We're not going to be able to help people with that. Uh, but fantasy football does not end at the draft. People who think it does, they lose their leagues. Sure, yeah. You know, So there's plenty to chat with Fabiano. We're going to do that. And Stuart Mandel, who is our old friend from Sports Illustrated, who we always have this joke on the show with him about how uh, we don't get to talk uh, college football with him. We only call him when there's a college football scandal, right? Like his first <laughs> five appearances were to cover different scandals in college football. As far as I know, there isn't one right now. Uh, we're going to talk to him about the first week of college football, uh, look ahead to the second week and to the season. Uh, so Don and I probably won't do much college football between ourselves today. 
we'll kind of leave that to Mandel, and obviously we'll do more college football as the season goes on. Uh, so that's today's show. Strong, I think. We got a NFL, a college, and a fantasy. Don and I are going to do our over-unders for the season. Uh, last year we went, I went 3-1, and one, and you went 2-1-1. One, and one. So 7-2-1? No. 5-2-1. 5-2-1 last year. So we're actually pretty solid at this. Uh, this is one I would, a lot of times when we predict things, I don't necessarily encourage people to <laughs> listen to us. Uh, maybe with over-unders I do. I think we're pretty good at this. Yeah. And uh, I think what we'll do is for one last thing, we'll kind of talk about what we've been doing all month. I do, I could be misguided here, but I do think that people care about us sort of and do want to hear about the wedding and all the other things that have been going on while we've been off. But to sort of hedge our bet a little bit, in case they don't, they can just shut it off. And one last before thing. one last sure. thing. Yeah. So we'll do that stuff at the end because I think there are people who are interested in that. And um, Five on Fantasy is also going to be in there today. And we're going to talk a little bit about how the drafts went this month, maybe what surprised us, uh, players who moved up during the month, players who moved back. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about what we think players need to focus on now as we shift from draft season to playing season. Uh, So we have a lot to do today, sort of a pack show. There's other stuff that we probably won't even get to that I'd like to. Oh, the very last thing we'll do today is Super Bowl picks, too. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know if I even told you to prepare one, but I'm sure you have something in mind. Sure. Uh, So we'll do all that. Uh, Let's get started with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right, first thing today, what we're going to do is talk about all the little loose odds and ends that are out there as we get to start the NFL season. I'm very excited for the start of the season uh, this year. Uh I'm excited for preseason to be over because my team looks like garbage in the preseason. So let's bring on the real games. First thing I want to say is I was on my honeymoon and by far the worst thing that happened while I was gone was the the injury to Sam Bradford. Oh, yeah. I feel terrible for Sam. It seems like ever since he won the Heisman Trophy, almost nothing good has happened in his career other than getting drafted first overall in the last year that you can really cash in on that. Oh, right, yeah. You know, so despite the fact that his NFL career may or may not ever actually work out, he still got paid. Yeah. Because it was, I think he got $40 million guaranteed or something. If the over-under on him suiting up for the Rams ever again is a half game, is do you take the under? You know, that's really hard to say now because I don't know how much of a disaster this season is going to be without him. Right. If they get solid quarterback play from someone, I don't I think that's the last year he will. This is the last year they're going to go into the season fully committed to him. Yeah, this sure felt like a year where he needed to prove something and he's not even going to get the chance to either prove he's worth it or a bust. He's just not going to get the chance. So 
Yeah, that's that's a rough break. Especially coming off a season where he had 14 touchdowns and four interceptions in this six and a half or whatever games he played before the ACL last year, you kind of felt like he could he had the he had the tools around him now and the team. There's a lot of excitement with the team and yeah, that just everything about that makes me just feel shitty and I feel really bad for Sam. Uh, so, um, but at least he got paid, I guess. Yeah. The other Sam, I guess, in the uh, NFL news is Michael Sam. Cut. Cut. I was surprised. I think I sort of have said from the beginning, I just didn't think that they would cut him. And I will give the Rams a lot of credit for the way they handled everything. I think they drafted him. They shut all the stuff with Oprah down. They said, no, you come here and play football. This place is about football. You want us to treat you like a football player. Football players don't do reality shows with Oprah during training camp. Right. And then they brought him in, and they let him play. And the bottom line is there was an undrafted player who outplayed him, and there was not there was only one spot. Yeah, they didn't – I mean, they don't have a lot of depth. Or they have too, a lot of room on their depth chart, I should say, for an end. That's a good – And the problem with line. Michael Sam as a player is that he's a pass-rushing end. Right. And he can't play special teams. And oh. almost every seventh round pick that makes the team has value to the team on special teams. And from what I've heard, I'm not a scout. I, I didn't see a lot of his preseason other than highlights. Uh, he doesn't have much value to them as a special teamer. So now the latest word from Adam Schefter is that he has a physical on Wednesday with the Cowboys. You know what? Good. Um, I... Couldn't care less one way or another, honestly, if this guy makes a team. I'm glad that it seems the sports world, other than the fact that we're bringing up a seventh-round draft pick in a segment that we would ne- we probably will never do again. We'll never bring up a seventh-round draft pick uh, unless he does something great on the field. Marcus Colston. Well, sure. <laughs> but uh, I haven't heard any pushback. Like, I haven't heard anyone accusing them of How cutting. How dare the Rams. Right, yeah. yeah. So, so good. Like, I, I think this has all played itself out pretty well. Yeah, and uh, ESPN sort of embarrassed themselves a little bit. Asking about the shower? The shower report. Yeah, it's bizarre. Richard Deitch stuck up for the reporter a little bit in his column uh, last night. I honestly didn't see it. I just heard about it. Yeah, so I didn't I don't see have it a either. strong opinion either way, but that's the kind of stuff I just... I don't really care about, really. No, yeah, I don't either. We, we, we've uh, often admitted to potentially, to a fault, being somewhat indifferent about some of these things. Or sure. at least I have. I don't mean to speak for you on that. No. Uh, I, but sometimes I can just be indifferent when it comes to social issues, especially if it's not my issue. Right. But um, I thought it played out well. I was proud of the Rams. I was proud of Michael Sam, really, too. He, he gave his best, right? And yeah. He came up a little bit short. And let's see uh, what Dallas thinks. That's uh, the next step for him. Yeah, uh, Josh Gordon. Well, we got a couple suspensions. Josh Gordon suspensions upheld. This is kind of old news that I know. I but, wasn't uh, surprised. I I wasn't. I read into the reports uh, and what exactly went into the testing. And if people know this, this is going to, like I said, it's old. But he had two vials of samples. One sample would have tested negative. One tested barely positive. And if the first sample checked tests positive then the second sample only needs to show any trace of the substance 
So had the samples been reversed, he wouldn't be suspended at all for that. It was just kind of a luck of the draw. There were kind of two blind samples there. But, uh, yeah, so it was a little bit of bad luck on his part, a lot of stupidity on his part. We're a little out of practice with our levels right now. I look over and, like, the computer level is, like, all the way at the bottom. So I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to mess your floor. No, that's okay. You can maybe turn that down a tad. Yeah, I'll have to check to see if that's recording at all. Uh, it's definitely recording our voices. Um, but, yeah, he he, he kind of got what he deserves, I guess. And this, I don't even know if that suspension took into account the DWI that he had coming No, I don't think it did. I don't did. think it did because I think they got that pushed back. So uh, I don't think that was a big deal. And I imagine the NFL could have just as easily said, okay, we see where you're coming from with this. Well, no, they couldn't because they went to uh, an arbitrator, and I think it was either an all or none My type thing scenario. is just that the NFL rarely goes back on things like this. Almost to a fault, they're militant when it comes to their drug policies and their drug suspensions. And he didn't do himself any favors in any way. Right. Uh, I just didn't see it. I know you were picking him in fantasy leagues and I did, yep. thought it might happen. And I thought, you know, maybe there's an outside chance he only gets eight games, maybe, but it just, I just didn't see it happen. And, and the one thing I will say that I've never liked about this is now he just has to somehow maintain a straight atmosphere without any football in his life at all. Right. Yeah, you like can't go to the CFL, facility right? Or, you know, I mean, it's just, it's a really strange uh, way that they handle things. But, I don't know. See you later, Josh Gordon, I guess. Best of luck to you. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he can main, maintain any sort of good behavior, like you said, without the distraction of football. Speaking of fines, uh, the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, uh, Jim Ursay, was banned for six games today and fined $500,000, which I believe is the maximum. Uh, he also can't discuss the team or the NFL or anything like that on and his social, social media. media. Yeah. Uh, so. so he can still use social media, just not to yeah. talk about the team. Oh, well, okay. I don't think they can tell him you can't Yeah, I, th- I thought tweet about your garden. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's a pretty pretty big penalty. It's always an interesting spot for the commissioner who's hired by the owners when he has to go back and discipline them. I always yeah, it's that. weird to tell an owner that it can't come to the building that they essentially own. But this is, again, maybe something I don't care that much about. I don't know if you do. No, not really. Uh, the one thing that is a positive in all this, because, of course, as soon as the Josh Gordon suspension came down, every comment on every message board is, oh, you get a year for smoking pot, two games for beating your wife. Every suspension now is going back to that. Right. Uh, the NFL <clears throat> and Goodell admitted, basically, uh, we, we, we messed that up. And now they've enacted a harsher drug policy. I believe it's six-game minimum for the first offense and then Out. an indefinite ban, yeah, for the for any second offense. So, good. I'm glad they changed it. Yeah, so um, that's going to be harsher. That's one of those instances where maybe the league heard the outcry from the fans. and the Yeah, I, I would hope whoever. so. I would hope so. Two uh, games was a joke. And already there's a 49er who's maybe going to face this discipline. Right. Arrested over the weekend for some kind of domestic issue. Uh, so that's going to get interesting. Another thing I saw today is uh, there's a poll... Uh, 75% of Americans are in favor of the Redskins being the Redskins. Uh, that is 
uh, up from 1992 when it was in the 10% range. Uh, but still a lot of... It's amazing because that 25% sure is pretty loud about it, it seems like. Yeah, I guess uh, so. But there is also a poll, and the players uh, believe it should stay the same. I was borderline shocked by that. Uh, I don't have a lot of skin in that game. Or any, well, that's that's a, comes off as a bad pun. Right. But uh, I don't have any anything any rooting interest in that really but i think the name should probably be changed if uh people are offended by it it doesn't seem like it can really be taken in a positive way i know the etymology of the word some people will point out was a positive uh word of pride but it just doesn't seem that it works that way anymore so i just don't know like i heard last night this is hearsay that there's a high school team on an Indian reservation named the Redskins. Oh, really? Um, it's always seemed divided a little bit. Some people of the heritage seem to be very against it. Others maybe aren't. Sometimes I wonder if people who don't want to change maybe make up that there's people who aren't. I don't know. Here's the one thing I'm against in this, and that's the media being a part of the story and saying that they're not going to use the name. I just don't think that that's right. the job of the media. As long as they're called the Redskins, if you are uh, working as an announcer of their games, or you should call them the Redskins. Uh, Jim Nance said, I sort of think it should be, ch- I'm paraphrasing Jim Nance, thought it should be changed, but he wasn't about to, uh, to in his broadcast, be the one to um, stop using to it. Stop using it. So, yeah, I, I don't think I would necessarily hear someone use the word Redskins in terms of a football team and think, oh, that guy's racist because he's not falling in line with, with, with the cause. But, yeah, I don't know. I was surprised to hear that it was that one-sided. Uh, less controversial, J.J. Watt looks like is going to get paid. Uh, the rumors are a $99 million deal with about $50 million of guaranteed, that yeah. guaranteed. Uh, he's the right guy to pay. Sure. Uh, everything I know about J.J. Watt is he's a fan, obviously a fantastic player on the field and a great guy off the field. Yeah. Uh, really good in the community. Uh, that's the kind of guy you want to spend a lot of money on, I think. And it's cliche, but it's a quarterback league, and the most important position is quarterback, and the second most position might be getting after the quarterback, and he does it as good as anybody. So, yeah, I, I think that's a great move for them, and uh, we'll get to the over-unders later, but... There's big things expected from that team considering where they finished last year. That's just about everything I have on my list. Did you have any one or two more you want yeah, to Yeah, real on? quick. I mean, we kind of, I wrote down Gronk, but it's kind of a will he or won't he type situation. Uh, he says he's going to play. Belichick uh, says maybe. Maybe, yeah. So but Belichick isn't one to want to give out information like that. No, too. and if he could, everyone would just be questionable. And Wes Welker, three concussions right. in, in nine months now. Scary one. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about fantasy football later and the uh, X's and O's ramifications of that. But, man, that's just – it's not my family, but he's got rings, right? I mean, he was with the Patriots when they got their rings. So, Yeah, I I hate to be the one to tell a so, guy to stop playing. Yeah, I mean, right. he's a man. He can make his own choices. I think if I was in his shoes, I'd probably be done. Yeah, that's scary. That, that's that's your brain. That's the whole CTE. That's, that's all, all that, that nasty stuff, stuff. Is super scary. Yep, and brutal. So, yeah, it's too bad for him. He, 
he's a fun player to watch, so it stinks that he can't stay on the field. All right, uh, second thing today, we want to talk a little bit about Major League Baseball. Uh, we played the uh, clip off the top of uh, the Royals winning on a walk-off, and we were kind of joking about how ever since we started this show, really, the Royals' quest to emerge in the playoffs was something we talked about. Our very first guest ever on the show is Jeff Passan, who before working for Yahoo Sports was a columnist in Kansas City. I know we mentioned it uh, with him on that first show. And then our sixth show, we had Joe Poznanski on. You know, there's no sports writer in the world more synonymous with Kansas City sports than him. Who was the one that kind of said they'd be a sleeper? Like, maybe not this year, but the next year. I think that was Poznanski. Poznanski. Yeah, Yeah, so it's taken a few years since then. But they haven't made the playoffs at all, right? Yeah, they haven't made the playoffs in, you know, obviously decades, since the 80s. I was thinking it's no secret that I'm not a baseball guy, but it feels like the the Royals are kind of the unofficial team of our podcast. Well, they've played 136 games, and that's about where most teams are, which means there's a little bit over 20 left. Um, And they have a half a game lead on the Tigers. Uh, 75 and 61 and 75 and 62. So we'll see if the Royals can make it. I'm pulling for them. I think a lot of people are pulling for them. Can they make it? I mean, the Royals are a more talented team. I mean, the Tigers are a more talented team, right? Well, I don't. I think the good news is is that's not the only way in, right? Well, right. There's also two wild cards, and right now Detroit has a game and a half lead in the wild card standings. So there's a little bit of a cushion. So they got two ways in, and the two teams closest are Seattle, one and a half back, Cleveland, and New York are four back. So, they got a good look at it. And uh, Oakland and Anaheim are pretty darn good teams in, the, in, in the, the American League. It'll be interesting to see if anyone can beat either of those two teams. Um, Baltimore has 79 wins, which is many as Oakland, too. So, yeah. Do you think Verlander is affected by the off-the-field? Nah, he doesn't, he doesn't nah. care about that. Good. He doesn't care anyone sees his ass. <laughs> uh, we were talking a little bit before about... How his his girl is uh, not the uh, perfect image, and I sort of like that about her. You know, she's not she's she, she's not your stereotypical model, right? But I like yeah, that about her. Pretty girl, yeah. Uh, Washington is a death grip on the National League East. They're going to win that division. They have a seven game lead. I think that's the biggest lead. That is uh, the Orioles actually have an eight and a half game lead in the East. So both Easts are over. Baltimore is going to win the American League. Washington is going to win the National League. So does that make what Washington did a few years back, does it feel like it was the right move now? No. Still not? No. That was a chance they could have had at winning a World Series that they gave away. How many? I mean. I guess they'd have to go out and win one now and then maybe continue to be competitive and get back to more. Yeah, I I don't think it's there yet for sure. Uh, St. Louis leads the Central, Milwaukee, and Pittsburgh uh, within three games there. The Dodgers, that's one thing I did while I was away. I went to a Dodger game at Dodger Stadium. Oh, yeah. And uh, the whole get there late and leave early thing about Dodger Stadium, I totally get it. You have to get there late. Oh. Otherwise, it's too much traffic and you have to leave early. Or it's too much traffic. I think we've seen five innings of baseball. Okay. Because we... We were told at our hotel, you either have to leave two hours before or when the game starts. 
Okay. So we left when the game start at 6, and we got there at like 6.45. But now, was this a, uh, what hockey team was notorious for that? Was it the Devils, maybe? Had like one road in and out of where their stadium Kinda. was? Yeah. Uh, is it because of yeah, just all the, L.A. in all general? All the parking is in there, too. Like okay, you, there's nowhere to park like near the stadium and walk. You have to park at the stadium. Okay, and LA in general. Okay, and like to get there, you kind of get off the highway and then it's like this long drive into the stadium, and that backs up people paying to park. So locally, for anyone that lives around here, is it like driving into uh, the Outer Harbor concert? Oh yeah, very it, similar. It, yeah, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very similar to that. Uh, and then, I mean, everyone's parked in the same spot, so if you wait till the end, you got to leave with everyone. Right, yeah. So I get it. Traffic in Los Angeles is, is redonkulous. Was it cool? It was a beautiful stadium. It's yeah. up on a hill, sort of. It's really nice. Dodger dogs are highly overrated. <laughs> a Dodger dog is a boiled hot dog Okay. that's on a small bun, so it looks really big. Oh, okay. You know, like it spills over the bun on each side, but it's really not that much bigger than... It's in between a regular and a foot long. Gotcha. And the bun is smallish. Hmm. It's a boiled hot dog. Yeah. It's nothing to... We waited a whole inning in line for concessions there as well. Wow. Yeah, we missed a whole inning of action. So they they sell well then, the Dodgers. Yeah, there's 50000 there, I think. Wow. It was pretty... And it was a value of 20 bucks for our seats right from the box office, you know, $20 yeah. a ticket. I mean, they were uppers, but they were a good view of the game. They weren't a bad seat at all. They weren't even the worst. You could, we could have paid a few dollars less. They had sixteen dollars seats that night, and that's on a Saturday. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, they had, it was a good value. Uh, so baseball is uh, coming to the end, and I can't wait for the playoffs. And it'll be interesting to see. We're gonna have to get Jane on to talk about Jeter and the end of Jeter. All right. Uh, so that's coming up. So baseball is winding down. Uh, third thing, last thing we wanted to talk about. One of the first things that happened after we signed off was the Tony Stewart dirt track incident. Yeah, uh, where he killed a guy. Yeah, what? Yeah, I guess there's no other way to put that. Yeah, so Stewart. I mean, the story is known. The reason we brought it up, a few things. One is yesterday, uh, Tony Stewart returned to the well Sunday, I guess now it's Tuesday. Tony Stewart returned to the car mm-hmm. and raced and crashed. Oh, he did. I didn't know that. I know he came back. Yeah, he didn't finish. He crashed. Uh, But he came back. He did give a statement to the press, uh, but he didn't take any questions because of the investigation, which the sheriffs uh, in New York where it happened say it's two weeks away from being completed, and they still maintain right now there's no charges, nor do they think there's any reason for charges. Yeah, here's the way I looked at it, and we talked about this, and again, it's old. Uh, I don't know... Where the responsibility lies, I don't know the law in something like this, especially considering this isn't like a guy driving on the street. This is a guy driving as fast as he can in a race car. Um, A couple other guys missed the guy. Stewart happened to hit him. And my thought is I don't think, and I don't really think anybody thinks he meant to hit him, but I don't think he did absolutely everything he could to steer as as clear of the situation as he could so i think in that case there is some fault there i I don't know what that means i don't necessarily want to see the guy go to jail or anything but i think he was trying to send the kid a message a little bit and it went wrong but again that's 
that's it's a real gray area, and it's just uh, my opinion based on the guy's attitude. I mean, he was before the race, and I'm assuming after the race, very somber about the whole incident, and as I imagine he would be, even if the guy was the biggest jerk. Like I said, I don't think he meant to kill a guy, but well, I think like when there's an accident on the road and there's an investigation, uh, generally you hear things like we were found 85 percent at fault, and they were found sure 15 or whatever you'll hear things like that sometimes it's 100 to 0 sometimes it's 50 50 and uh here's the one thing that upset me about the whole thing is how sure people act like they know well right yeah it's just so ridiculous to me it's a very very dark track the video that everyone has had the chance to see there's no way you can say beyond a reasonable doubt that you know what happened either way no, no, I don't the think so. The kid shouldn't have got out of his car. Right. It's a mistake that obviously cost him his life. Uh, they were – I don't know. I don't I, – I can't read his mind and I, I can't I know see I, for sure what happened. I, what Your theory, that might work for me as a theory. Maybe he could have done more to avoid him. Maybe it was one of those situations where he kind of wanted to – Sort of swerve at him. A I think he just bit. wanted to maybe kick some he, dirt up at him. Yeah, or something. maybe. Yeah, got, I don't think he meant anything beyond that. But right, but I don't know that either I, way. What um, I do know is that, uh, and like we said, this is pretty old. And we actually were at a restaurant. I think the night this happened, and I said, if I were, oh, I forget the kid's name. That's kind of insensitive. But uh, if I were the kid that died's father, I would be for the rest of my life pissed at Tony Stewart a little bit. Because it's like, look, this is just some amateur race. You know what I mean? Like, this is not not amateur. I mean, there's pros, but he's he's racing down. I guess was the way I would put it. Uh, but I'd also be pissed at. I I would never stop saying like, why did you get out of the car? Why? Right. Why? So Kevin Ward is the guy. Kevin name, Ward. That's right. And he's 20 years old, and it's sad, and we're sad it happened, and. uh not much more we can say about it, but we wanted to just touch on the fact that Tony got back in the car. Uh, it was why you know some people think it was too early. Some people were cool with it. Some yeah, I don't know. Opinions. I, mean, I, I don't, I don't have an opinion on that. That's whether it's too early or not. It, if he's not guilty of anything, he might as he can get in whenever he wants. But the sheriff say about two more weeks of investigation, and then we'll know more. So we'll yeah, see what we'll happens. See. All right, we got a lot to do today. Uh, we're going to take a break and come back with Trey Wingo. Our next guest is from Greenwich, Connecticut, and is a graduate of Baylor University. He is the host of NFL Live on ESPN and appears on many of ESPN's programs, including the NFL Draft and other things. He's just as excited as anyone for the start of the football season, and he's making his second appearance on the Sportscasters today. A warm welcome to Trey Wingo. How's it going there, Trey? I just love the fact that you guys still have that music. <laughs> Where did you find that? Oh, I mean, we, we find them all. I think it was uh, Tim Layden uh, went to a D3 school. I can't think of which yeah. one. And uh, I called the I called the AD there and was like, listen, I need your fight song. You got a digital version of it, and he got it to me. And It's always a big hit. People, it pumps people up. Their fight songs pumps people up. Uh, that's funny. 
So I want to know, what are you more excited about, the opening of the house that RG3 built or the new sets at ESPN? Because you seem pretty pumped about both. Uh, listen, the the stadium is great, and I'm happy for McLean Stadium and on the Brazos and all that stuff. But considering that uh, I may get there once a year, and the other place I'll be in all the time, I really, really am excited about the new studios. It's it's going to be really, really good. What? And this is I don't know if this is too inside or not, but, and, and maybe it's even a dumb question. I'm not sure. I'll find out when you answer it. But what is it about? A, a better or new set that makes your job easier or better? Is it just aesthetics or is it, is there something about where you are doing the broadcast that can actually enhance it? Well, as we had once in an NFL promo here at ESPN many years ago, there are no dumb questions, <laughs> just dumb people that ask them. I no. recall that. Promo. <laughs> I just, I that was a line from the commercial. I no, it's, uh, <laughs> look, it's nothing that makes my job easier or more difficult. It's, it's just a better way of presenting the information. I mean, if you, when you get right down to it, my job is my job, whether I'm in a freaking closet or I'm in a brand new studio, my job is to present information and get elicit the best information and opinions out of the analysts. Now, if there's a way to do that in a more aesthetically pleasing way, I'm all for it. And I think the studios, specifically the new NFL studios, are just going to be fantastic. Yeah, I think that's uh, one thing that's a little bit more increased in the HD era is like how things look. In, in HD, like I always think about what, that with uniforms, like some uniforms just really pop in HD. Like the Sabres had this like baby blue third jersey that they wore for a couple years, and it wasn't the best jersey, but it looked incredible on TV in HD. And I think that that's maybe something we would never really would have thought of in the SD era, if that's a thing. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I I think that for, for people like us that have sort of gotten used to HD over the last, I would say, four or five years when it's really clicked in, uh, you know, it, I can imagine it's like going from black and white television to color television for another generation. Because I don't know if you've ever been watching something and your HD goes out or your HD channel doesn't work anymore, and you go back to standard def, and you're like, "What the heck is that?" You know, you can't, you really can't see half as much stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think I think I think you're exactly right. It's a huge, uh, it's a huge difference. We, uh, I think it's, I don't know if it's the NFL Network who coined this term or what, but I, I, I've been, it's a newer one maybe, or maybe I'm just catching on to it late, but the NFL is, is now this 24, or 24 wrong, 12-month uh, league now. It never ends, 24-7, 12 months a year, and you can break it up to the non-playing and the playing season, and I'm really excited to talk to you about the playing season, which starts tonight. But well, I'd like to think that I coined that because I've you? been saying this for years. There is no off season. They're broken down into four parts. Okay. Okay. There's yeah. the, there's the regular season, the postseason, the player procurement season, which is free agency and the draft, and then preseason. And in between, there's literally about two weeks where nothing goes on. All right. Well, let's look real quick at those. That's the last two that you mentioned. The uh, yes. The the player procurement season and yes. the, uh, and the preseason. When we look back on, on this year, maybe in six months or one year or two years, what are we going to remember this non-playing season about? What's going what's gonna to stick out? Well, I think that the fascination with Johnny football is going to be a big part of it, and that will spill into the regular season, depending on how he plays. But, I mean, you know, this is a guy, you know, he had himself an interesting offseason. Yeah. And I, I do believe that one of the reasons he's not starting is because he didn't get what he wasn't doing. 
And, you know, when, when he said he wouldn't change a thing about how he went around and did things this offseason, I think years from now he'll look back and say, man, I, that wasn't right. You know, you just – Johnny doesn't – the worst thing you can be is you don't know what you don't know. And Johnny doesn't know what he doesn't know yet, and that's holding him back, and he's got to figure that out. So I think that's a big part of it, and I think another huge part of it is obviously going to be the story of Michael Sand. And people can pretend like it's not a big deal and say, oh, whatever. It's a big deal. And, and and I think because it's a big deal with Michael Sam, hopefully going forward it won't be a big deal at all. But the first guy through the door is always a big deal. Yeah, and when I when I, I was thinking about the summer of Michael Sam a little bit the other day, and I was thinking about one thing that really stuck stuck out to me is really how well the St. Louis Rams I think handled what I thought was going to be a really difficult situation. I think Jeff Fisher and uh, the the pieces that are in place there really did a phenomenal job dealing with bringing him in drafting him uh, making him available initially then kind of shielding him giving him the opportunity and then ultimately I thought for sure that if any team drafted him and then was in a position to cut them it'd be a disaster but just it seemed like the way they handled everything it didn't come off that way at all and I think that that the way they handled it might be uh, a huge reason why going forward it's less of a deal as you mentioned. Yeah, look, it, they did they did it right, and you know because it was all about football. It was never about anything else, and I think that you know Michael contributed to that because uh, you know when he decided not to do the Oprah documentary because that that would have just given people fuel for fire and fodder, you know, and and I think he gauged the temperature of the room and the temperature of everything else and realized that was probably not the way he wanted to go, and, and so I think the Rams handled it extremely. They handled it like a football player. That's all. It was nothing more, nothing less. And I think by by handling it that way, that sent volumes to everybody. It was just fine. Someone uh, had tweeted me a couple of days ago. We had uh, Phil Taylor on a little bit earlier in the summer, and uh, we took some chances that maybe we normally don't with that interview. And we talked. I, I pressed him a little bit on some issues. Uh, he had, he had written a lot about uh, Ray Rice, and we talked a lot about that. And we talked about Michael Sam, and we got we got into things like race, some things that sometimes I can be squeamish about. And uh, someone someone said to me that, you know, you should have uh, you should have followed up more here. And I said, well, you know, I, I, I do maybe lack a little bit of courage when it comes to these things. The, the pressure is so much on people in our positions with what we say and how we say it when it comes to these issues. And I was thinking about a guy like Herm Edwards, who I know you, you work really closely with, who maybe had his first instance of saying something that went against the grain, and he took a little bit of a, a, a bite back for it. What was your uh, response, knowing Herm and working with him so well, uh, when his comments were were made public by the Tampa Bay writer? What, what sense did you get of it? What was your reaction, and, and how do you think uh, the appropriate response has been since then to it? Well, first of all, let me say, I literally don't know what you're talking about. Oh, okay. So, I'm sorry. So what that. are we talking about? All right, so earlier in the summer uh, – Coach uh, had was talking, I guess maybe on or off the record, to a Tampa Bay writer about Michael Sam, and he said that he wouldn't have drafted him. No, that's Tony Dungy. That's not her. Oh, I'm sorry. That was, that, that was Tony Dungy. That I was saying. That's just an honest mistake by me. I meant to say Tony yeah. Dungy and was saying her words. I'm sorry about gotcha. that. Gotcha. No, uh, no worries. Yeah, that's just a bad mistake by me. So yeah, same question. Just uh, excuse my mistake and replace the no, names. It happens. No, yeah. look. Well, I think two things. I think number one. One important 
piece of information was left out of that article, and it was that this w- interview was done while the idea of doing the Oprah documentary was still in play. And I think that's a huge right. piece of context that was excluded from the article, which ran several months later, that I think explains perhaps some of the things that Tony said. However, that being said, Tony has been very vocal about his stance on on gay marriage and what he believes marriage should be and how it affects to, to what he perceives to be his, his biblical truths. So anything that he says on those lines is going to be colored or skewed through you know, previous comments that he's made along those lines anyway. So, you know, I, it, I don't think if anybody knew Tony and knew what he said previously about some of those other topics, it wouldn't have surprised us that he would have said that. But I do think it was dis, dishonest to Tony to not put in that article that these comments were made months ago when the idea of the documentary was still in play. That changes things dramatically. Yeah, and I think what I meant, what I wanted to say, and the reason I got crossed up and, and included uh, Coach Edwards in that was that when we have a guy who we hold in such esteem like Tony Dungy, and he can get caught up in that, do you think it makes some of the other people that we hold in such high esteem, like Coach, Coach Dungy and many of the other great people who have done a great job speaking about social issues, do you think it holds them back a little bit? Well, no, because I don't think Tony really cares. I mean, with all due respect, I, I think that he he's lived long enough and he knows what he believes in and he knows what he stands for, and that and he has no problem speaking on that, you know. And I and that's that's been proven time and time again. And 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 uh, you know, you if if people are going to have their opinions based on their religious beliefs, that that's okay in this country. Uh, they can have them. Doesn't mean we all have to agree with them, but he's certainly allowed to share them. One last thing on things like this, and then I want to talk more about football and look forward to the season. What do you think your your role, uh, other journalists' role, hosts' role is in social issues like this? And I, I want to focus more on the Washington Redskins and their name and how so many people have decided, you know, maybe we're going to use the name, maybe we're going to decide not to. Uh, and to me, it's been a little bit weird because I think the way I was – taught in journalism school, communication school, was maybe to keep yourself out of the story. And to me, that's the way I felt a little bit, like maybe uh, making a decision at all or or maybe making that decision public has kind of put the person in the story a little bit. Where do you you fall on the the, the Redskins name and how to use it, how not to use it, and the idea of uh, maybe making a decision either way and making that decision public? Well, two things here. I think there are two completely different things in are, yep. the coverage of Michael Sam being the first openly gay drafted player and now the first openly gay player in the NFL. That, no matter how you slice it, that's an historical thing that needs to be addressed and covered appropriately. Whether you agree on how we think it's appropriate or somebody else appropriate, that's a different discussion. But that is a different thing because that is chronicling an historic moment. So that that's one thing, and the name and the Redskins is a completely different discussion. Now, anybody that knows me around here, I've said for years that I thought it was, you know, I, it was pretty obvious to me that it's 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 a name based on the color of someone's skin. Poor taste. You know, and and that's always been sort of a, a weird thing. Um, but you know, as far as making it the story, you know, Bob Bob Lee did a great outside the lines uh, special on that and the dilemma they called it. And at the end, you know, he, his closing commentary was. And I, I'm not 
quoting him here. I'm paraphrasing, so I, I'm making sure I, I get it somewhat right. You know, he said, look, people say this is a media-driven story. And on some level, that is correct. It is a media-driven story. But so was Watergate. You know, when Watergate first happened, no one cared. I mean, if you ever, one of my favorite movies of all time is All the President's Men. And there's a great line from Jason Robards, who played then Ben Bradley, the executive editor of the Washington Post. And uh, right when they just were digging into it, and they'd just gotten the facts from Deep Throat with Woodward and Bernstein, played by Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford. And he said, National Polling says nobody cares about the Watergate story. No one cares. But go ahead and do it anyway, because best of luck, the reference and the, and the, uh, you know, the history of the Washington Post is riding on your shoulders, so don't screw it up. And, you know, history proved out that that was correct. And Bob pointed out at the end of this commentary that whether, whether polling of the public, whether they think the name are, is bad or, or fine, is almost irrelevant. It's the, it's the actual question that is being posed. And, you know, things change. The only constant in life has changed. There was a time when women couldn't vote. You know, there was a time when, when uh, you know, people thought it was okay to own slaves. So things change. That's the only thing that's going to happen. And the only thing that will really change the Redskins' name is the same thing that, that drove Woodward and Bernstein in all the president's men, follow the money. If at any point uh, advertisers, sponsors start bailing on the idea of the Washington Redskins, Daniel Snyder can say whatever he wants. It's going to change. This is a free market society, and Dan is a heck of a capitalist. Uh, and he'll do what's right for his business when it's all said and done. Um, you know, my, it's, the name is the name. And, and until such time as the name is officially changed, I think we're all going to use the name. It depends on how much we use it. And Mike Tirico had a great line about that in, uh, in a thing they did on ESPN uh, up front row and, and some questions about Monday Night Football. is like it, you can't go through a game and not say the name Redskins. It's, it's impossible. You can try to limit it, but there's just no way to do it. Uh, you know, as for someone like me or somebody else, you can try and, if, if, if you find the name to be offensive, you can find ways to limit saying that name by calling them as D.C. or Washington or something else. But, you know, if you're calling a game, there's really no way around it. There's just no way around it. And you can, how much you want to be involved in the story is a personal decision. Mike Wise, the Washington Post writer, has been beating this drum for a while. You know, and, and, and he's put himself out there on the forefront. And, you know, that's his choice. I, I don't want to be a part of the story, but I don't want to be ignorant of the story either. And that's the line I try and walk. The sportscasters are here with Trey Wingo from ESPN at Wingo's on Twitter. Uh, really nice to give us some time on what is the day that the playing season starts. Uh, this is a question I love to ask in different settings, but as we start the season, the playing season, as the game starts tonight in Seattle, what are some things that you're really excited to see actually play out on the football field? Are there some stories that you're looking at, some, some players, some teams, some, some angles that you're really excited to see actually play out in the games? Yeah, well, first and foremost, because of what's happened this summer, I'm curious to see are they going to call it the way they called it this summer uh, right. from the efficiency standpoint. The points of emphasis, for lack of a better term, is what the NFL has put out. Because I think defensive holding was up 450% this summer as opposed to last. Illegal contact, 353%. Illegal use of the hands, 343%. That is an astronomical amount. Now, obviously, just by the fact that a lot of those penalties were against non-starters, and guys that are probably doing something else for a living right now, that will go down. But if they call it even remotely like they did this summer, 
you know, we could be staring at a points of Palooza year in the NFL. And if Peyton Manning gets that kind of call every week with Emmanuel Sanders there replacing Eric Decker, which is a huge upgrade from a explosive standpoint, he could set the record again this year. I don't think that's even a stretch to say that. So that's what I'm looking at, first and foremost. Uh, I'm also curious in, in Seattle's situation, because I'm not sure if there's a team that's built to repeat uh, better than Seattle since the, the last team to do it, the New England Patriots. I mean, they have the ultimate home field advantage. They're 15-1 and one at home the last two years. And if the road goes through Seattle, good luck. You're not beating them there. You're just not. Um, but the other thing is the last eight Super Bowl champs, the last eight haven't even won a playoff game right. the next year. So clearly it is not an easy thing to do. And Seattle isn't hamstrung by their quarterback contract like so many other teams are because of the CBA. They can't even, even if they wanted to, and they probably do, uh, they can't pay Russell Wilson until after this year, which has allowed them to give the deals to Earl Thomas and Richard Sherman without a big salary cap hit and bring back Michael Bennett at a, at a decent number. So they have two really good things going for them, is that they're a young team that isn't strung by salary cap. They didn't lose a bunch of players this offseason. They lost a little bit of depth on the defensive line, and we'll see how that plays out over 16 games. But I'm curious to see if Seattle can buck the trend going forward. And I'm always curious for the teams that don't, no one thinks are going to make it show up in the postseason picture. 17 out of the last 18 years, we've had five teams make the playoffs that didn't make it the previous year, and five teams that made it not come back. And we've had 11 straight years where at least one team has gone from worst to first in their own division. So what the NFL has managed to do better than any other league is sell hope. You know, you look at those numbers and you say, why can't it be us this year? Why can't it be our team this year? And those are the things I'm curious to see how they play out. Is there a team that you have in mind uh, for the worst to first or non-playoff to playoff? Is there a team or two that you're looking at as a great candidate for that? Yeah, well, I think San Francisco is in a lot of trouble. Um, And I know they're still very talented, but you can't keep losing players. I mean, you can't lose Alden Smith for nine games. We don't know when Navarro Bowman's coming back. And we don't know what's going to happen with Ray McDonald. And it's, it's really interesting there. And, you know, Jim Harbaugh was very specific about this. He said on a recent radio interview, there are two things. One, if you lay your hands on a woman, you're done with me. And he said that on more than one occasion. Dante Whitner, who's now with Cleveland, has said he said that for team meetings. Uh, but then he said, I'm also a big believer in due process. Uh, and, you know, 70, uh, Vernon Davis estimates 75, 50 to 75% of the team was at that party. So they have a pretty good idea whether or not it went down at all at this point already. Uh, and if he goes out for six games, or if the team go, decides to go ahead and take action, remember, uh, Aaron Hernandez in New England, he wasn't convicted. There was no, the Patriots decided they'd seen enough, and they let him go. And they cut him. They didn't just send him. They cut him. They, they didn't wait for due process. They said, well, we're done. The 49ers are not at that point with Ray McDonald, and maybe you know they shouldn't be because we want to see how this whole thing plays out. But if let's say they lose Ray McDonald for some for something, then that's another part of that defense. And you know people want to bang on the preseason all they want, but March Flareth has a great line about preseason. It may not count, but it matters. And the 49ers offense, especially that first team, has looked horrible, horrible this summer. And if that defense has taken a lot of hits there's going to be more pressure on that offense to come through, not only play, but play very well. And are they capable of doing that right now? And I think there's a lot of concerns for a team that's been to the NFC title game the last three years. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too. With the, we always see the regression in some teams, and it seems like this year more than 
any. People are really convinced that the regret, the biggest regression team is going to be Carolina because of the way their salary yep. cap has uh, has handcuffed them. Well, not only that, but they have a brand new receiving core. Okay, and it's really based around one guy, Lookie Kelvin Benjamin. Now, Cam Newton had a, the ankle surgery. He had exactly zero time this off season, OTAs, mini camps, to work with those receivers. So it all started in training camp, and. You know, are they going to be stronger? Hey, what's going to happen with defensive end Greg Hardy, who's uh, still dealing with his issue with uh, the allegations of domestic violence and assault against his girlfriend? And how is that going to play out under the new policy under Roger Goodell? It's first time six game suspension, second time lifetime ban. All those things are going to play out here. And that offensive line has gotten worse. Jordan Gross retired. Uh, D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart certainly aren't any younger. Uh, Carolina is in, a, is, in a, is in a real interesting situation. And I'll go back to Peyton Manning. In 2008, he missed the entire preseason because he had a bursa sack removed from under his left knee. Didn't play a lick, didn't have a snap in the summer. And they struggled to a 3-4 and four start uh, through the first seven games. And I'll never forget, he said after one, one game, I think it was a loss in Minnesota or a win in Minnesota early in the year, he said it would be disrespectful to the game to think that you could miss an entire summer of practice and come in and play at a high level. Now, Cam Newton hasn't missed an entire summer, but he missed an entire offseason, and he also missed a couple of time, a couple, sometime this summer with the, with the rib injury. So Cam is a guy who's still developing his pocket passing game. Now you throw in a brand-new set of receivers and all the timing issues that he wasn't able to, to work on in the offseason. There's a lot of problems for the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, and we always – I think – I know I'm guilty of this. I don't want to speak for anyone else, but I'll say, you know, someone like Drew Brees or Peyton Manning or even Cam Newton, they're so good. They don't need that. They don't need that time. But then when you actually look into all the work that they actually do during the offseason, they're at 60 minutes. You know why they're so good? Because they put in that time. I'll give you an example. Peyton's work ethic is whatever. Drew Brees, a couple years ago, came up here during the offseason. You know, everybody comes up here and does what we call the car wash. They do a bunch of different interviews. He negotiated in his in his deal when they were bringing him up here an hour and 15 minutes to work out. And while in the middle of all his interviews that he was doing here for NFL Live, SportsCenter, ESPN Radio, he went to the gym, worked out his routine, and also had someone catch passes from him for 20 minutes on the lawn in front of the ESPN sort of square so he could keep his timing going. You know why those guys are so good in the regular season? Because they put in the time in the offseason. That's how they get so good, and specifically a quarterback. It's a different deal if you're a running back or a, or a wide receiver or a rush end, say. You know, find, go get the quarterback. A running back, take ball, go here. You know? But if you're a quarterback and if you're a wide receiver, if you're a safety, if you're a left tackle, if you're a center, that offseason time is where you build everything you need to be great and make it look easy in the regular season. Yeah, and I know Breeze really said he struggled a lot when he was working on his contract at the beginning of that season. So he missed out on those times. Uh, when they had the lockout, he brought all the guys on his own dime down to work in San Diego. This summer he had Brandon Cooks uh, in right. San Diego working with him. So, yeah, those guys aren't great by accident. No, uh, it's, it's the work you put in. You know, it's Ma- Malcolm Gladwell wrote a great book called The Outliers, and it, it yep. talked about you know, how people achieve success. And the overlying principle was it was not doing something great. 
it was doing the same thing over and over again that made it great. And he had different examples of, you know, hockey players and junior league in Canada that grow up and mature earlier so they could get on an advanced team and get a part of this stuff. And even referenced Bill Gates, who just happened to come along at the right time and meet some people who had access to a supercomputer that nobody else at that time had. And you, he, it's repetition. Repetition breeds success. And that's, that's the most important thing that people need to understand. The sportscasters here are pretty much running out of time with Trey Wingo. is nice enough to give us a ton of time when the day football starts. Again, he's at Wingo's on Twitter, and NFL Live is on at 4 o'clock every day on ESPN2, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, uh, ESPN. It is well, on it's ESPN. Been on, it's okay. been on ESPN2 this week because of, the, uh, because of the U.S. Open. But starting tomorrow, we're Got back it. on our regular time slot, ESPN4 to 5 Eastern. Before I let you go, I just want to get a few, few predictions from you, and I don't want to pigeonhole you to any specific no we, they, we we do all these things all the time yeah, it's, just throw some it's out. a fascination that i don't quite understand <laughs> because uh, you know we can't know the future because we don't know how the games are going to play out we don't know who's going to be injured how things are going to be affected but people love them so let's yeah, go so throw some out give me some predictions just well i i, go I, I, I will say last year i successfully predicted denver and seattle in the super bowl i had the winner wrong <laughs> but uh, i did have denver and seattle uh, in the Super Bowl this year, I have Denver and New Orleans in the Super Bowl, and I'm picking, I'm sticking Denver again uh, to win, which means they're probably going to go down to Flames again. No team loses worse than the Denver Broncos when they decide That's to lose right. the Super Bowl. Right. They lose it. I mean, they yeah. go big. Mm-hmm. That's very and true. The, and the reason, the reason I'm picking Denver to get back in Seattle is simply because I think the NFC is much tougher. I think really it's a two-team race in the AFC. It's either Denver or New England. I mean, you can make the case for Indianapolis, but I don't think their defense is anywhere near the level of Denver's and New England's. Uh, I think Kansas City's going to fall back because of a brand-new offensive line, you know, and they've got some other issues. Certainly not Alex Smith. I think he's, he's not the problem. But, and I don't think San Diego's defense is strong enough either. So I really think it's Denver and New England, and it's just a matter of, where that game's going to be and who's going to win it. I'm going to go with Denver. In the NFC, you could look at Seattle. You could look at uh, New Orleans. You could look at Philadelphia. I really like Chicago. I know some people don't. And obviously, Green Bay's going to be in the mix as well. So there's just so many more teams that you could point to in the NFC. And then I'm playing the history card. You know, I mean, eight straight years, they haven't even won a playoff game, let alone get back to the Super Bowl. So uh, that's why it's nothing against Seattle. But I'm just, I think, I think that trend, there's a reason for that trend, and I think it probably will continue. Yeah, and you made that NFC home field advantage point earlier, which I think is so so huge because I I can't really see anyone winning an NFC championship game in Seattle. I can't see anyone beating no. New Orleans in the Superdome in an NFC championship game. Yep, Green Bay would be tough in in January too. So yeah, I mean that 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 will determine a lot. And New Orleans might be the second toughest place to play outside of Seattle for anybody. Thank you so much for all the time. Really appreciate it, and thank you for being so kind when I uh, was confusing former coaches like a dope but uh thank you we, we all make mistakes <laughs> you know it's not it's not like it's not a, it's not a huge deal i mean it's not a big deal at all don't worry about it thank you thanks for covering thanks uh thanks for doing this really appreciate it you got it steve it's time for a new segment we've created called five on fantasy with the first pick adrian peterson drew Brees, stephen jackson miles austin we have let ocho cinco tj Cushmanzada. I once tricked my brother Greg into picking Roy Williams about nine rounds after he had actually been selected. (laughs) I don't care. I'm just trying to win me a fantasy football league. All right. So I want to thank Trey Wingo for being on the podcast today. A great first guest to get us going again after a a long break in August there. Uh, Five on fantasy today. I wanted to do this uh, just to talk for a few minutes. not going to be a long segment today. 
But something I was thinking about, I was doing a mock draft last night on ESPN.com's app, which is a great app. So cool to be able to lay in bed at 2 o'clock in the morning and Just do a mock, do a mock draft, draft real yeah. quick uh, on your phone. But I was thinking about how, guys, we had a really early draft in your league. Right. And there was guys you could get at that time in a certain round that you can't get anymore at that time. Because I have a draft tonight. Mm-hmm. So I had a really early draft and a really late draft, and I was thinking about the month, and I was just curious uh, about some guys that maybe you think uh, have. I'll throw some guys out, and these guys have their stock has improved and their stock has dropped, and if you think that it's corrected too much either way, okay, like what your a- actual expectation of these guys is. Now, sure. Right? All right. So like, so let's start with. Quarter, uh, wide receivers. I had a couple wide receivers in mind. All right. Patterson and Cooks were guys that you could get much later, earlier in the season, and you could now. Maybe like Patterson was around a seven, and now he's more like a four or a five. Mm-hmm. And Cooks was maybe like a 13, who's now more like a seven. Where do you think about it? Did it correct too much for these guys? Are they being drafted? I actually. I believe if I looked at the drafts, in both of my drafts, I think Patterson and Cooks went in the same round. I think you ended up with both in the real early draft. I did. Uh, and I ended up with both in the draft I had just last week. Um, I don't think that's normal, though. I do think what you're saying is more more true, that Patterson and Cooks are flying up draft boards. I'm not surprised. Uh I don't know I'd go much higher on Patterson than late four, early five, because, I mean, I don't know if I'm ready to jump him ahead of some of the guys in the fourth round. Like, do you jump him ahead of a Percy Harvin? That's pretty close to me. I mean, that's who you hope he is, right? Is Percy Harvin just one that stays on the field? And uh, I'm not ready to jump him ahead of a Andre Johnson, maybe. Although it's, it's close. I, I don't know. The upside is certainly there. I think they're right. He's right about in the right spot. I think Cooks. I would maybe even. I got him in nine in my draft. I would probably have gone earlier if I thought he was going to be gone. According to ESPN, in the last seven days, uh, these are some wide receivers who have went up quite a bit in ADP. Um, Keenan Allen has went up almost around. I imagine Emmanuel Sanders has gone way up. Percy Harvin has went up. Michael Floyd has went up. Yep. Um. And you're also using ESPN ADPs, and um, I'm a listener of the Fantasy Focus podcast. Yeah, it's so a, a good lot, one. Right, yeah. so a lot of the guys that they like on there are the guys that are, I mean, it's going to be reflected in ESPN's ADPs because, I mean, there's a good likelihood that those people listen to the podcast also. Uh, and with Welker's injury, obviously he was a big dropper from one to the other one, which resulted in Sanders going up quite a bit. Actually, in the draft I did, Sanders was drafted in the sixth and Welker was drafted in the eighth. And that might that might be a, a lot of value for Welker in the eighth if he stays on the field. Uh, running backs, the top four has pretty much locked in. Right. It's been that way most of the summer. Um, some guys I'm wondering about. Uh, where, are you, where are you with that Zach Stacy at this point? Where are you with Le'Veon Bell at this point? And where are you with Ben Tate? Those are three guys who I think their stock has maybe dropped a little bit since this draft has started. Yeah. Uh, I don't want Bell or Tate 
but in the draft I did, Bell fell all the way to the third, and Tate fell to the fourth. Um, and that's like the next running back after Tate was Ray Rice, who's suspended, and Ryan Matthews, who is an uh, in injury risk maybe and is just in may, might even be in a timeshare. So I think Ben Tate is the last running back of that tier of running backs that maybe is the clear-cut starter. But he's not a guy I want. I don't like the Cleveland offense, really. And he can't stay healthy either. So I I wasn't a big fan of Tate, really, ever. Shane Vereen's a guy who's going up quite a bit in running backs, especially when the news came that really might get cut, although he didn't. Right. But when that news is out there, that's when he sort of started to go up, and he sort of just kept going up ever since, really. He went in the fourth round, I believe, of both the drafts I had. I was hoping he was going to fall to me at the end of the fourth round. Yeah, it's just a guy that's not falling anymore. And he did not yeah. at all. And I heard comments there, guys saying, like, uh, yeah, good luck with, with the Bill Belichick running back. Well, he's, he's he's a running back on his football card, but, I mean, that's not how he's going to be used there. Obviously, his value is totally different in a non-PPR league. But in a PPR league... I think he could be. I think he could have a monster year. Yeah. So another thing I wanted to ask you about drafts. Over and Zach the- Stacy, real quick, you touched yeah, on. Oh yeah, he's, he's fallen. He is fallen. Uh, I think he's fallen too much. <laughs> he fell to me in the fourth in my early, early draft, and he fell to the third round in the draft I had much later. So still outside of that top two rounds. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if it's the Sam Bradford injury. I don't. Well, know I if think it's, it's Cunningham has pushed. Had a, a nice preseason. Had a nice yeah. preseason. So I think it's a little bit of fear that he's not quite the clear cut one that maybe gave him the value initially. Yeah, because my draft was so early. I think I drafted Stacy at some point, and then I drafted Trey Mason, who was thought to be the backup at the time. And I've already dropped him because it doesn't look like that'll be the case at all. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about drafting is, was there any strategies in terms of drafting that played out not as good or better than you thought, either you implemented or you seen? Uh, what about drafting in general and the way things played out in August? I think we both talked about our the draft for my league, which was much earlier, about how if we're guilty of anything in that draft is we both might've been guilty of going a little bit too much upside too cute. Maybe is what I think yeah. I described it. Yeah. Uh, so on the one hand, maybe it'll work out really well. And on the other hand, maybe, maybe you got some guys like maybe I'm relying too much on the buzz I'm hearing on Andre Ellington or, or maybe it'll work out great. Uh, my second draft I think was a little more conservative later in the year. Um, drafting. I still drafted. I, in the late rounds, I think if you're not drafting upside, I think you're just you're wasting your time. I, I don't think you should be trying to draft your fourth receiver when you only start two. You should be trying to draft the receiver or running back that could become your a starter for you at that point. But no, I tend to draft the same way. I don't. I'm not sure. I changed much from one draft to the other. Two quick things I want to do for five and fantasy, and then we'll get out. The la- uh, second last thing is. Well, we'll do the Listener League first. It's on my mind. We're going to do that draft tomorrow, uh, later on at night, online. Uh, we got some new new players in there. Excited about that. Uh, so we'll keep everyone up to date and talk about it, and I'll probably win it. So. <laughs> yeah. 
Tomorrow night. Tomorrow night we're doing that. No so, auto drafters. No, don't auto draft. Although no one will hear this probably by the time. That's oh, true. Maybe, maybe a little bit. It'll be tight, yeah. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to talk about is, so drafts are over. And we're going to talk about this uh, with Michael Fabiano in a minute. Uh, what is the number one thing fantasy players have to do now to to win? Drafting is over. And obviously you got to put starting lineups in every week. But what... What do you need to do uh, for your teams to make sure you're you're uh, staying on top of your leagues? I would say first and foremost, don't fall out of love with your team because you lose a game don't or two. Don't yeah, don't flip out uh, because Adrian Peterson has one bad game or something like that, or because Brandon Cooks doesn't explode the first time he hits the field. Uh, just wait. I mean, you love the team when you draft it. Usually, I mean, some people go out of the draft saying they hate their teams, but. Uh, if you like the team you drafted, give it a week. That, and that goes to say, too, that if you drafted Brandon Cooks as your fifth receiver, you should probably wait a week to see if he's going to be. Well, that was the one thing I wanted to say. Start your studs. Yeah. yeah. Do not sit guys because of matchups in week one. No, absolutely not. Play your guys. You, week one, it, where you drafted guys is the most relevant it's ever going to be. Right. Start your studs. Yeah, those upside guys. Oh, Aaron Rodgers is in Seattle. I, uh, I don't know. You know, maybe this is the week I play uh, Romo. Or right, yeah. No, start. ESPN, after you draft, automatically fills out your roster. Just use that one. I mean, in my case, I drafted Ray yeah, Rice. Maybe you change so your flex. change them out. Right. But otherwise, uh, those are the guys. Chances are, right. Start those guys. Wait and see what they do because uh, you'd rather – lose a game because someone on your bench does awesome than you would having set your stud who does awesome. It's it's a bonus if someone on your bench does good. It gives you a little bit of uh, flexibility going forward. Don't don't blow it because you leave someone like a stud on your bench. That don't do it. Start your studs. All right, let's see what Michael Fabiano thinks. Our next guest is from Watertown, Connecticut, and is a graduate of Central Connecticut State. He is a member of the Fantasy Sports Trade Association Hall of Fame. He has worked with the NFL Today on CBS and is the first fantasy analyst to appear on one of the four major networks. Today, he is the fantasy editor for NFL.com and the NFL Network. He doesn't sing uh, opera, but he likes to rock, and he's always a great friend to the sportscasters. A warm welcome to uh, Michael Fabiano. How's it going today, Fabs? Good, man. How you doing? Good. I figured, you know, right now you're probably feeling like a little bit of a slave to the grind with how busy it must be just a few days before the season starts. Perfect intro song for this time <laughs> of the year, no doubt about it. Uh, I always, I always want to ask you this right away because, you know, there was a time where we were we're handwriting our our stats out for the for every week, mm-hmm. and now there's so many different choices of where you can run your game. Uh, what is it this year that you guys at NFL have done to make your game the, the spot? Well, honestly, uh, the game has everything that you need, uh, whether you have been playing fantasy for 20 years or you're just starting to play this year. To me, it's the best game on the Internet. It is fully customizable, completely free, and we have a very new cool feature uh, that's integrated with fantasy football called NFL Now. 
which you can download on uh, on your smartphone. Uh, you can download it for your iPad. You can download it and watch it on Apple TV. It is fully customizable to your tastes. If you're a Dallas Cowboys fan, you can get updates on all the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, if you have fantasy teams on NFL.com, or if you have fantasy teams anywhere, to be uh, honest with you, but I don't know why you'd play anywhere but NFL.com, you get updates on all of your fantasy players. All you do is load in your fantasy teams, and every time there is an update, you'll be able to see it. That's uh, information at your fingertips. And there's a lot of other cool stuff that NFL now has. It is the biggest library of uh, National Football League video and content that you'll find anywhere. You know, I seen Rank Adam Rank from NFL Network and NFL Media talking the other day about how he thinks everyone should go to one QB, one running back, three flex. And mm-hmm. I was just made me think: What's your favorite way to play? Are you a standard guy? What, what's your favorite way to play the game? It's fully customizable. What's the way you like to customize your game? Well, uh, I like to go traditional one quarterback, two running backs, but I like to go three wide receivers and a flex, which can be running back wide receiver or tight end kicker defense, but I also always use PPR if I can uh, because there are certain leagues out there where we just use standard because um, a lot of people are playing NFL managed leagues, which are standard leagues, but I prefer PPR. I also prefer that special teams is negated from defense. So defense only gets points for defensive plays. Special teams points should go to players. So if Deshaun Jackson runs back a punt for a touchdown, you get a point for every 25 yards and six points for the touchdown. The Redskins' defense wouldn't get anything because they're not also the special teams. I think players should be rewarded for what they can do out there on the football field and giving points to a special teams unit to me is not as close to real football as you can get if you're talking about fantasy scoring systems. Yeah, I, I always knew you were a big PPR guy, and I like PPR too. But my least favorite thing is when people middle it. I can't stand half-point PPR. It drives me nuts. So yeah, much. just go go in uh, 100%, 100% or don't go in at all. Right, exactly. Yeah, there's so much great information out there that's geared to PPR and non-PPR, and when you're the middle, you know, it's like, well, which one do I look at? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So full PPR is the way to go. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I'm a big PPR guy too. And actually, we have uh, the first time you're on with us, you were you were big on PPR, and we set up a listener league on NFL.com to do PPR, mm-hmm. and it's the third straight year of the league we're doing uh, our draft. Oh, that's league. awesome! Yeah, this Great. year we're looking forward to that for sure. Fantastic. Um, this is something else I wanted to ask you about fantasy football in general too, because I, I sort of felt it a little bit last year. I think uh, Matthew Barry made this point in his book a little bit about how. For a long time, fantasy football operated in the shadows. It was sort of the like Dungeons and Dragons for sports fans. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, over the years, obviously, it's it's not that at all anymore. I mean, everyone plays from uh, MJD to you know my younger brother or whatever. The full mm-hmm. range of people. But do you feel like, to some degree, with all of the coverage and all of the backlash or all of the attention that Maybe there's a little bit of a backlash now against the game, a little bit of overexposure maybe? Uh, to me, I don't think so because all the exposure that NFL fantasy football is getting and fantasy sports in general is, is great for me. It's great for NFL. Uh, it's great for the NFL network, the digital media, because people are more interested in the NFL than they've ever been before. Uh, as a Dallas Cowboys fan, when I was growing up, I paid attention to the whole NFL, but 
particularly to the Cowboys, to the Giants, the Eagles, the Redskins, the teams that are in my division. Uh, I actually go way back to the point where the St. Louis Cardinals used to be in the Dallas Cowboys division, if you remember that. Um, and now you're paying attention to not only your favorite team and the team uh, and the teams in your team's division, but you're also paying attention to players on your fantasy team, and that's huge. And players are also getting involved, too. You see players involved in commercials. They play in fantasy leagues. I know a lot of former players who play with Danny Thompson, Kurt Warner, who were fantasy studs back in the day. They play. So there's Marshall Falk. There's a lot of guys out there that play. So I don't know that there is an oversaturation problem. To be quite honest with you, there are so many people who are looking for information on fantasy football and how to play and what it is that, to me, the more information out there, the better. So you don't fear a saturation point at all? You... I, I don't. Uh, honestly, I don't. Uh, the NFL hasn't had that problem. I don't think fantasy football will either. So based on when we're doing this, I'm not going to waste time talking to you about sleepers and things like that. We're past that point a little bit. But I wanted to, mm-hmm. I was wondering about the month, the draft month, and some drafts that you did in the beginning and the end. Who were some guys that stood out to you as big-time risers and some guys who really faded as the month went on? Doug Martin definitely is a riser. Uh, at the end of the preseason, he was being drafted at the end of the first round, beginning of the second round. Charles Sims out for a portion of the season, so that sort of solidified his value. Uh, you're also seeing guys like Justin Hunter, his value is rising. Cordero Patterson's value is rising as well. Uh, if we're talking about players who have slipped a little bit, Robert Griffin III after the preseason, a lot of people are scared of him now. Cam Newton, same kind of thing with the injuries uh, and the new weapons in uh, in the passing game, which uh, bold the question, uh, or you know, can he actually gain a rapport with these guys quickly, or, or is this going to take uh, a little bit of time? Arian Foster's value dropped a little bit as well, although he says he feels wonderful right now, and hopefully that's the case. So... Um, Things change. That's why you don't draft until the end of August or maybe the week day. of Labor Day because so many things can happen. And what happens if you drafted two weeks ago and you drafted Josh Gordon thinking you could get him for maybe eight games and now he's gone for the entire season? Same thing with Wes Welker now, suspended for four games. Now Emmanuel Sanders' value is on the rise. So uh, I know people get excited about drafting and, and, I, and I love that excitement. But when you draft too early sometimes, that comes back to bite you. Now, the best players obviously know that work is far from done after draft, and there's so much more to this than just putting your lineup in every week. What are the things you think people miss that are most What is the most important now thing for players now uh, to, uh, to do? What, what should we be doing to make sure we get the most out of our teams? Be diligent on the waiver wire. That is the number one thing because the draft is huge. The draft is very important. And if you can draft a very strong team, you're going to have a good chance to have a playoff contender on your hands. But if you don't pay attention to the waiver wire, uh, for example, last year you would have missed out on Nick Foles and you would have missed out on Zach Stacy. In some cases, no Sean Marino and Julius Thomas all on the waiver wire. So if you sit back and just run your team by setting the lineup every week, you're going to miss out on some big-time players who inevitably are going to pop out of nowhere and become very fantasy relevant. So playing the waiver wire is just as important uh, as drafting a good team because this is not a one-week game. You're going 16 weeks here if you're lucky enough to make it to your championship. So you can't just hold your draft, draft a team, and then be a a vacant team. owner uh you have to continue to do some work at it every week yeah i think thomas was a week was a stud right in week one i think that that was a huge one and it made me wonder are there some guys that didn't quite 
have the value to draft, but you're really watching in this first week or two to see what their real role is going to be in the offense? Are there a few uh, guys that you're going to see, oh, if this guy does what I might think, he's going to be on the top of my waiver list for week one? Bishop Sankey's not going to be on the waiver wire uh, in most leagues, but I do want to see what his role emerges into uh, as we get closer to uh, week one and probably over the first two or three weeks and see if you can overtake Sean Green on the depth chart, which I think you will. I mentioned Justin Hunter. That's another guy I'm really watching. I want to see what his role is going to be in Tennessee because I really think he should be starting aside Kendall Wright and not Nate Washington. Nate Washington hit his ceiling. So those are a couple of players that I'm watching. I'm watching the situation in Cleveland at quarterback because at some point Brian Hoyer is going to falter and the Browns have really, really uh, a difficult schedule in the first three weeks. And then Johnny Football comes along, and I'm going to be watching for him because I love quarterbacks who can run with the football. So that's a situation to watch. And also in Cleveland, if you watch the wide receiver spot, who's going to be the guy? Somebody's got to catch balls there. It can't just be Jordan Cameron. So you've got to look for who's going to be the most targeted wide receiver in there. It could be Andrew Hawkins. Uh, Miles Austin is also there, but, of course, he's always hurt. So uh, that is that, those are a few of the situations, a few of the players that I'll certainly be watching out for uh, in the first two or three weeks. And then, of course, guys coming back from injuries. How is Gronkowski playing? How is Foster playing? Uh, is, is RG3 uh, back to being the RG3 we remember from his rookie year when he was one of the best quarterbacks in fantasy football? So also paying attention to guys who are coming back from injuries uh, and or disappointing seasons. Sportscasters here with Michael Fabiano from the NFL media world, NFL.com, and, of course, the NFL Networks. He's at Michael underscore Fabiano on Twitter. Uh, just two more quick things. Uh, one thing mm-hmm. is I'm a huge start your studs guy. And yep. I think, especially that first week, like I, it always shocks me when I, I open up the live scoring the first week and like someone's literally sitting like their second or third round pick because of a matchup. But I think mm-hmm. that's never been going to be tested more than with Aaron Rodgers this week. I mean, yeah. can you... I can't think of another time where I was like, you know what, I might be able to sign up for someone, say, maybe they got Rodgers and Cutler. I mean, that might have been mm-hmm. possible earlier. Maybe they got, I mean, I don't know the specific guys, but would you be able to have the guy, I mean, Cutler or uh, Rodgers, you would have probably picked him in the first round, maybe no worse than second or third. Would you be willing mm-hmm. to sit a guy like that, or are you, are you a, a strong start you, your stuff? You'd or? have to be really deep at quarterback. Uh, and you know what, I, I'm not even projecting him to have 15 points. Last year, the Seahawks gave up eight touchdown passes all year, and they had 16 interceptions at home. They're nuts. They are so good at home, it's ridiculous. Of course, that was last year. This is this year. They've lost some guys on the defensive line. We'll see uh, how the replacements come in and, and fill in, but nine times out of ten in that case, you're starting Aaron Rodgers. And I, I've actually done uh, my rankings this week uh, for NFL.com, and I don't have Rodgers up there in the top three or four, uh, and it's because of the matchup. If I have Colin Kaepernick and Rodgers, maybe I'm going Kaepernick this week. Uh, I think Russell Wilson's going to outscore Aaron Rodgers. But which leagues out there uh, are, well, I, I guess you could have Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson, but see, to me, if you dropped Aaron Rodgers in one of the first two or three rounds, and I'm not taking a quarterback until like the last round, uh, or one of the last three rounds because I don't need him because I've got Aaron Rodgers. But maybe those two guys would be, yeah, I'll think about that. But no one has Rodgers and Peyton, Rodgers and Breeze, Rodgers and Luck. Maybe you have Rodgers and Foles in that case. I like Foles this week. But um, nine times out of ten, 
you're going to start your studs, and, and most people don't have a good enough second quarterback on a team with Aaron Rodgers to consider sitting Aaron Rodgers. But the matchup this week is bad. It's going to be the worst matchup he has all year. Right. I think I saw that in the last two seasons, Tom Brady's the only one to have more than you know 200-plus yards and double-digit touchdowns. Against they are so good at home. Yeah. It is ridiculous. I mean, you can basically write in seven wins at home for the Seahawks, if not eight. I know they lost to the Cardinals last year at home, but they are just nasty. They're just nasty. Yeah, I was thinking about, like, I'm sure there's a guy that has Rodgers this year that was like, I had Breeze last year, and I knew all week I shouldn't start Breeze against Seattle, and I did it anyway on that Monday night game. And so I just thinking, and he was horrible that yeah, night. And, and to be to be honest with you, I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't really recommend sitting Breeze even in that case. You'd have to have a really good number two. But remember, last year you could have picked up Nick Foles, for yeah. example, right? And so if you had Foles and you had a Breeze, well, Nick Foles is pretty good. Maybe I'll play him over uh, a guy like Drew Breeze. But most time, if you have an elite quarterback, your strategy is not to go out and grab another top tough court. 12 quarterback. You're going to end up drafting someone like Alex Smith or Ben Roethlisberger or Andy Dalton or someone like that who's going to be your backup, and that's more of a, a worst-case scenario where Rodgers gets hurt and you have to play another quarterback. But at least for me, I, if I ever got Rodgers or Breeze or, Bra- or, or Peyton, which I never do because I wait on a quarterback, I'm not even worried about a second quarterback. So it depends on what you did in your draft. But most of the time, Rodgers is in your lineup week in and week out. All right, last thing. Uh I want to know going forward where all the ways that we can follow you this year. The NFL Network has so many great platforms and opportunities. Mm-hmm. Lay it all out for us where we can get the most uh, Michael Fabiano advice so we can win our leagues this year. Well, uh, I appreciate that. Um, NFL Fantasy Live, five days a week uh, on NFL Network, and it airs at 5 p.m. Eastern. And on Sundays, NFL Red Zone Channel, uh, we are on the air at. Uh, 11 a.m., and we run right to kickoff. Uh, I'm sorry, it's actually uh, 10.30 a.m., um, and we run right to kickoff. And uh, we are uh, on NFL Now. We are on NFL Digital Media on NFL.com. There is no shortage of content. Uh, Stardom and Sidham comes out every Wednesday. I have my waiver wire piece on Sunday nights, Monday mornings. So be sure to check it out. Uh, we've, we've got more media coverage of fantasy football than honestly any other outlet anywhere and that includes ESPN, Fox, NBC, anywhere else. Uh, we've got more fantasy than any place and it only makes sense it's for the National Football League. Yep, and it's at I don't think you said it, I think I said it earlier, but it's at Michael underscore Fabiano. Right. Not not Michael right. Fabiano because then you're gonna be asking an opera singer for <laughs> for advice. So unless you're interested in singing one, in that case, you should definitely hit up at Michael Fabiano. But otherwise, at Michael underscore Fabiano. All right. Thank you so much for doing this at this time. I know how busy it is, and we really, really appreciate you taking a few minutes. And we'll talk a little bit later in the year when it slows down a little bit, and we can talk about some other fun things too, like music and the Cowboys. And uh, like <laughs> At that point, I'll be talking about the Cowboys and their you know, 2-13 and 13 record, oh, you know, which is yeah, defense about is what I'm – yeah, what I'm expecting. Scary. Thanks so much, Michael. I appreciate it. You got it. All Take right. care, man. All right, I want to thank Michael Fabiano for being on the podcast today. Really appreciate that. Love talking fantasy football with him. We mentioned earlier in the show we don't often encourage you to follow our advice when it comes to 
uh, gambling and things like that, but maybe we do when it comes to our over unders. We did pretty well last year. <laughs> yeah. I went three and one. Don went two one and one. We were five uh, two and one total. So this is what we got this year: four picks each. Uh, Don, you can start us off. All right, I felt obligated, and this is probably one of the teams I get wrong all the time. But that's the Bills. I feel obligated to pick the Bills. Uh, they got six and a half. The preseason wasn't pretty, but. Uh, I think I still got to take the over. Um, I like that they added Kyle Orton. I wish they did it a lot sooner. I think EJ Manuel is not going to look that bad. I really think they were gun shy about him getting hurt or anything. So I, I really think they uh, coddled him a little bit in the preseason. Uh, or maybe he's just going to be terrible. But uh, I think they can get to six and a half. And I mean, I think they have to. I think they're, uh, they got Watkins. I think in almost every aspect of their team, they're better this year. So, I mean, it stinks losing Bird and Kiko, or yeah, and Kiko Alonso on the defense, but the offense should be better than it was last year. So, yeah, give me give me a seventh win this year. I think the one that I like uh, more. Well, I'll give you two at the same time because they're both overs and they're both from teams from the AFC South, which I think is a pretty bad division, and. The Colts are probably the best team in that division, and they're probably going to win it, but the Titans might. And hmm. I love the Titans over seven. It's minus 125 on the money, which is a reasonable price to pay it at. That means if you bet a, you need to bet 125 to win 100, that's not crazy, especially if you like it as much as I do. I love the Titans over. I think Jay Locker's pretty good, actually. Or Jake Locker's pretty good. Uh, he got was looking really well before he got hurt last year, and it was just a he broke his hip or something, dislocated his hip. I mean, it's not anything that didn't heal, right? Or is going to prohibit him in the future. Uh, I like that a lot, and I also like the Jaguars over five. Um, that's just such a low number. I just don't see them as a four and twelve team again. I think they're better. Uh, Blake looked uh, great in the preseason. They're not going to go with him right away, but he's going to start eventually. Uh, Chad Henney is just going to hold the fort for a little bit. I think Lee was a steal draft pick. I think they're just a much better team. They played better down the stretch last year. They're better than last year, and they won four. Uh, this one's minus 150, but I like the Jaguars and the Titans overs a lot. All right, we talked a little bit about Houston, and this isn't one of my picks, but it's just kind of uh, to spitball off your point there. If Tennessee and Jacksonville imp- are improved and Indy stays about the same, you got to figure Houston improves too, right? So those extra wins are going to come outside the division? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, I, I don't know if I'm sold on Houston. Uh, I don't love their their quarterback situation. Right, really. yeah. You know, and uh, they had the first overall pick. It's a defensive end. He's linebacker. He's probably pretty good. Uh, I like Watt a lot, but that was Watt had a great season last year too, right? Yeah, and I'm worried about Foster. They don't have Tate anymore. I don't know who the backup running back is there. Um, How did you describe that division? I actually think it's a pretty weak division. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I just I think the Titans are probably a nine and seven team. Eight and eight even would work for me. Sure. And I think the Jaguars, who are four and twelve last year, are better than that. Yeah. And I think they could easily get to six. All right, my first team, or my second team then, uh, from an opposite division. This is maybe the toughest division in football, or if not, it's close. Uh, that's the NFC South. I I kind of like every team for their over, 
but because the division is so good, like I didn't want to jump right on the Saints to win eleven. It's a tough division to win eleven. It's a high number. And uh, but they got Atlanta at eight and a half. It's just they just assume they're going to be better this year, and I, I don't know why you'd necessarily assume that, other than. Julio Jones being healthy for a full year, you still lose Tony Gonzalez. Uh, Steven, uh, yeah, Steven Jackson gets another year older. I, I just don't automatically assume that that team doubles their win total from the previous year, especially if Tampa's supposed to be better like a lot of people think they are. So I'm going to take under the 8.5 with Atlanta. All right. Uh, I hope that's true. I hope that's <laughs> Also, worst season of Hard Knocks ever, and I'm not the only one who's saying it. Yeah, I haven't heard much about it in general, so I guess that's probably true. Uh, another one I love, but everyone loves it. There's not a lot of value here. It's minus 175. Is the Dallas under 7.5. Mm. Uh, they had a terrible defense last year, and it's worse this year. Uh, they lost DeMarcus Ware. Uh, Skandrick is four-game suspension. They lost Lee is gone for, for the, the year. year. Yeah. It's a terrible defense. Uh, Tony Romo is just under unnecessary pressure constantly there. I like DeMarco Murray. They have good talent on offense and oh, they're yeah. going to score points, but they just don't. They're going to lose a few games where they score 35 points this year. Yeah, and they're going to lose games they should have won because their really good quarterback makes just an untimely mistake, which I don't know why that always seems to happen <laughs> to the guy, but it does. And uh, I love them under 7.5. I could easily see them as a 4, 5, 6 win team this year. All right, we'll stay in that division. Uh, I think this division is uh, pretty terrible, too, also. And I'm going to take Philly. Their number is nine. I'm going to take the over with Philly. Uh, I think I'm buying the Chip Kelly. I'm, I'm drinking the Chip Kelly Kool-Aid. Yeah, uh, second year in the system, right? Yeah, and I like everything I read about them, and I don't expect much from Dallas or Washington. And the Giants have fooled me before, looking like, particularly Eli. I remember one year watching Eli in the preseason just thinking, like, he is going to be a disaster. And I, I think it was a year that they went on to win the Super Bowl. So they might be fooling me, but they look terrible. Uh, Dallas, you've already said, looks terrible. And Washington doesn't look great either. Uh, I think Washington might be the most improved team in that division this year, but that's not saying much. But So much. What? What is RG3? I just don't right, know. Right. Yeah, I have no idea. Uh, I, I wish he was great because then I would tell the Bills, get on the phone, see what they want for Kirk Cousins. Cousins. Right. But I don't think they would ever do that because they, I don't think they know. But, yeah, give me Philly with, with nine wins. I think they could easily get four or five of those in the division. Uh, speaking of drinking the Kool-Aid, another team there's a lot of buzz for this year is the Bears. Uh, seems to be a really good offense. The defense is getting a little bit better, although it is questionable. Uh, but if Cutler plays the whole year, I don't see why over eight and a half is really a stretch for them. I think a lot of people would probably be disappointed with a nine and seven season out of them, and that wins for me. Uh, it's a pretty competitive division. Uh, the Vikings are maybe a team that are a little bit better than people think. Uh, the Lions, I'm not so sure. Yeah, I, I think- don't love their coach choice. I could easily see them not being very good again. Uh, and the Packers are obviously great. Anytime Aaron Rodgers is on the field, you're a good team. Uh, but I like the Bears in over 8.5. You can get that at minus 145. So uh, I'm going to go Titans over 7, Jaguars over 5, Cowboys under 7.5, and, and Bears over 8.5. Yeah, uh, I got nothing to add to that because I also took the the Bears were my last team, too. I took them at 8.5 over. Same stuff you said, and I almost took Green Bay, but – I don't want to bet on a guy's health one way or the other. And I feel like 
if you told me they're going to play 16 games, I think you take the over all day long on almost any number because I, I think that team would be just that much better than the other. I think they would go 5-1, and 6-0 and in that division because I don't respect Detroit or Minnesota all that much. But betting on Aaron Rodgers to play 16 games is, is something tough to do. So Chicago might beat Green Bay once or twice, and I think they beat Detroit and Minnesota uh, probably both times they play them. So if they get anything out of that defense, I think Chicago could be really good. All right, let's take a break and come back with uh, Stuart Mandel from Fox Sports. Our next guest is from Cincinnati, Ohio, and is a graduate of Northwestern University. He has worked for the Cincinnati Inquirer, ABC Sports Online, and ESPN The Magazine. He's also a senior writer for SI.com. Today, he's a senior college sports columnist for Fox Sports and has a new book called The Thinking Fan's Guide to the College Football Playoffs. He's making his sixth appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Stuart Mandel. What's up, Stuart? Wow, I didn't realize there have been that many appearances. Yeah, I know. Um, we always... my re- I, I assume I'm not, that's no record or anything. No, the, the record holder is your for, former colleague, Lee Jenkins, at 19. Whew! Yes. I got to wait to go catch up to that. <laughs> well, we always joke about how we only ask you on when there's a scandal, but as far as I know, there's no scandals to discuss today. So, I mean, I'm sure we could find uh, one. I'm sure we could find no, one. No, I don't, I don't think there's any college scandals going on right now. There's been some um, interesting headlines this week. We've got a quarterback who's suffering from a bad case of the yips at Wisconsin. Um, but other than that, no, it seems like we're focused on the game. Yeah, so Florida is never going to play that game, huh? Did I see you tweet that a little bit ago? Yeah, so Florida and Idaho decided they could not agree on a day to reschedule that game, so they're going to go ahead and cancel it this year. But it's a great, uh, it's a great deal for Idaho. They still get the nine hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. Yeah, that's a great deal. And you said that they'll, they'll they have to pay that out this year too, as well. I believe so. Um, they're just going to play again in 2017 and I think that one will be for free but um, they get their payout now and it's really not good for Florida because we're a much chance on the hot seat and while this isn't the whole you know reason you keep a fire coach I think most people had in their mind well he needs to get to eight wins or nine wins well that was going to be one of the wins so uh, that's not happening now yeah that that hurts uh, so we kind of got a little bit ahead of ourselves, but the first thing I really did want to ask you, just because we had actual games to talk about, what stood out from week one? Probably not a thunderstorm in Florida. Probably wouldn't have been the first thing on that list, but yeah. I've seen that tweet. But what what stood out in that first week for you? Well, it started right from Thursday night. That's the same one. Really put on probably the performance of the whole weekend. Um, you didn't know what exactly to expect. I thought their offense would be fine just because of Kenneth Emmons' history. But I didn't ever, never expect them to go put up 52 points on the road against a team that had won 18 straight home games uh, with a first-time starting quarterback. It's just a, a stunning performance. The problem with week one is you just don't know, you know, you don't want to overreact too much. Is it that AM is that good? Or, you know, we stopped trying just to get ranked in the top 10 in the preseason, but I mean, that's true. Uh, they lost some great defensive linemen, including Jadavion Clowney, and it may turn out that they're just not that good. But, as of right now, that was an impressive performance. And I was really impressed with the second half of the Georgia-Clemson game, the way Georgia came out, 
Uh, their defense has struggled the last couple of years. People were hoping that coordinator Jeremy Pruitt, who came from Florida State, would help uh, help that group stop underachieving. And in the second half of the Clemson game, they just shut them down. They held them at 15 yards in the second half. Tom Grill obviously had a monster game. So mm-hmm. Georgia is a team that I have on my playoff uh, picks in the preseason. And feel pretty good, pretty good about that right now. But again, you don't want to read too much into one game. Yeah, that wow, he was just he just ran away from everyone in that second half. I mean, that was a that was a heck of a performance for for Todd there. So, um when you were preparing for this season and when you were watching games, it, what was the most different thing knowing that there's a playoff at the end of this? Uh, well, it really changes the whole uh tenor of the conversation. You're already seeing it. You know, there's so many uh, it's been interesting to, to look at the coverage from this past weekend. So many people are already framing it in terms of what did this mean for the playoff. Uh, especially going into this week, you're seeing a lot of conversations about the Michigan State-Oregon game. What are the playoff implications of this? That's not something we're used to in the past. I think with the BCS, certainly you could look at those as big games, games with national title implications. But really the BCS was just going to come down to who finished undefeated. <laughs> And, and whoever finished undefeated was going to go to the title game if there were two undefeated teams. I think now that there's a collective uh, recognition that it's not that simple. I mean, first of all, there's two more spots. So it's not going to be all undefeated teams. It could be two lost teams. And we know that the committee is going to really emphasize strength of schedule. So I do feel like people have become aware enough of that to realize that these games, like Michigan State, Oregon, LSU, Wisconsin, take on a lot more importance. They're not just big big games because they're two good teams. They're big games because these are the kind of uh, things that the committee will be looking at three months from now. They're going to look at a team's resume and we'll just say it's um, uh, Georgia, for example. Uh, they get down of the season and they're trying to decide between one loss Georgia and one loss Oklahoma. And Georgia has that big non-conference win against Clemson and Oklahoma doesn't have something like that. That could be the difference maker between making the playoff or not. Right. Yeah, sort of maybe a little bit of bad luck for Oklahoma, that Tennessee, although Tennessee's been down for a while now. But um, in general, generally speaking, do some programs have to adjust now knowing that strength is – I mean, Ohio State, they had the two games against Texas, but when I think about that program, I don't think about a team that traditionally plays a really tough out-of-conference schedule. Certainly the SEC teams maybe haven't uh, challenged themselves that much in the, in the out-of-conference with – given how deep their conference tends to be. Is this something programs are going to need to adjust to? I do, and some of them already are. I mean, we're definitely seeing an increase in um, high-profile home-and-home games being scheduled, you know, two, three years down the road. One of the problems in college football is scheduling is that they do it so far in advance that it's hard to be responsive. Um, But I do think that, you know, if we get into this first year of the system, and it's going to happen at some point, the team's going to get left out, um, not even necessarily because of the non-conference schedule. I think the bigger problem is going to be in some of these 14-team leagues where you only play eight games. Uh, there can be a big discrepancy in, in one team's schedule to another's depending on who they miss. I use Alabama from last year as an example. In my book, I point out that you know, everybody assumes because they were the preseason number one team all year and the only loss is that you know, crazy ending at Auburn. Of course, they would have been one of the playoff teams. Well, maybe they would have, but they... Uh, they played an okay Virginia Tech team out of conference, now that's about it. And then they only played, of their crossover games, of the SEC East, they only played Kentucky and Tennessee. That's not as hard in schedule as 
as you think of normally an SEC schedule. So um, long way of saying that you want to make the most of the games that you control. You have no control over how your conference schedule may break in a given year, but you can make up for it by going out and scheduling a couple of tough games out of conference. And we're starting to see the effect already. I think we'll see it even more um, the first time that a team that would have easily gotten in in the BCS gets left out because of their schedule. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe this is addressing that, and maybe you thought of this, maybe you didn't, and maybe there's really no point. But do you look back on a season in the last five or ten years that you most wish this system was in place? Is there a year where we uh, really missed out? Question. Um, you know, the, I don't know that it would have made anything perfect. I think once you get to the four teams, um, there's never a year where you look at it and say, we needed exactly four teams that year. I mean, I certainly think it would have been great the year that Auburn went undefeated. Right, with Oklahoma. They wouldn't have been left out. Uh, the year that Oklahoma, or the year that I should say in 2008, Texas beat Oklahoma, but Oklahoma went to the title game instead of them. You know, four teams would have gotten both of them in. Right, um, three-way tie. But that, that doesn't mean you would have, that doesn't mean everybody would have been happy. That just means that it would have made the people who are upset about not making number two and shifted it to the people who would have been uh, unhappy about not making number four. Yeah, well, that's always going to be the case, though, right? I mean, even in the NCAA basketball tournament, we're always that first day after talking about this, you know, 68th place team that didn't make it. Well, we are, but those are, I mean, the difference is those are teams that, um, I mean, nobody thinks that the 68th team could have won the NCAA tournament if they made it. Um, Maybe that team gets on a run and goes to the Sweet 16. In this case, you're leaving out teams that probably would have a chance to win the national title if they got the chance. Right, very good point. I, I always love asking you this, and you always give me a great answer, too. Um, if there's a, an NFL guy out there who's like, you know, I don't get to watch as much college football as I'd like, you know, because I spend all day on Sunday watching, but usually I can get a few good weekends in. Is there one or two weekends that is a must-watch college football weekend this year? Um, I think, I don't know the exact date in front of me. I know in early November... Um, you've got one Saturday where Alabama plays LSU, which is always a big game, and Texas A&M plays Auburn. And I, you know, certainly expect both those teams to be in the mix right down to the end. Uh, I think that would be one of them. You know, I do think with the playoff, the late season games will become more and more important. You remember Thanksgiving weekend last year was a pretty big uh, game week. Uh, the Iron Bowl capping it off. Yeah. I think that will be the case again. But honestly, I mean, in, in looking a lot closer to that, if I were the kind of fan that you just described, I would watch this Michigan State-Oregon game this weekend because Marcus Mariota is a guy who many people think will be in the mix for the number one pick. Um, and he's going against a Michigan State defense that has become one of the premier uh, defenses in the country year in and year out. So um, it's a big game. It's a clash of the team that has become the poster for the hurry-up offense in college football in Oregon right. against the Michigan State team that really does, still does things, you know, the old-fashioned way that, that, you know, lines up in the eye and runs the ball at you and just plays tough in-your-face defense. So uh, this is certainly all offseason. This has been the non-conference game that I've been most looking forward to. I think I've seen that you had UCLA, uh, Georgia, Alabama, and Michigan State maybe as the four you think that will be in the playoff. Is that right? I had, uh, I had Florida State, Auburn, uh, UCLA, and Georgia. Oh, okay. I, I mixed up. That's what I meant to say, believe it or not, because I was way that's off. Right. Believe it or not, that's what I meant to say. Who are the next four that you would you would think? 
a cowboy and his horse? Um, Michigan State would certainly be on that short list. Um, I'm not sure I still have a that mix I did at one point. Uh, Oklahoma would be in the short list. Baylor would be on the short list. Um, you know, it's interesting. I'm not as high on Oregon as some people. I think this could be the year they return to earth a little bit. And yet, I do think they win the game this Saturday just because it's so hard to beat them at home. Um, it's more when they get into the Pac-12. Pac-12 is so tough this year. It's so deep. I'm not sure they're going to run through that like a lot of people assume. Yeah. You know, last year, I don't think anyone really... I don't know if we thought either of the teams that ended up in the national championship game at this point were were going to be there. Are, are there some teams that are maybe just in the in the in the second half of the top twenty-five, or maybe just outside that you think can really make a run? Maybe like Oklahoma did in two thousand, where they just just kept winning every week and getting better and better and end up winning it, or um, someone like that. Yeah. So it's funny. As of last week, A and M would have qualified as one of those teams, but now everybody. Right. It's certainly aware of them. Um, I would think you'd want to keep an eye on Nebraska out of the Big Ten. Everybody's so focused on Ohio State and Michigan State. Uh, first of all, Wisconsin is going to have a long year, I think, now that we know what their quarterback issues are. They would have been the favorite to win that division. I think they're going to have some issues. Nebraska's kind of sleeping under the radar there. Um, they have a tremendous running back in Amir Abdullah. They have... Uh, Probably the best defensive line hopefully he's had there in several years. Whether they have the talent to go into that 14 playoff and win it, I'm not sure. I, I I really think there's only a handful of programs in the country I would feel good saying that about. And half of them are in the SEC and almost half of them are in the Pac-12. But I would certainly put Nebraska on my short list of teams that could win the Big Ten or you know, one of three teams I think could win the Big Ten. And if you win the Big Ten, you're going to have a good chance to make the playoffs. Sportscaster here with uh, our old friend Stuart Mandel. He's at SL Mandel on Twitter. Recently moved uh, from Sports Illustrated to Fox Sports. Uh, you're doing some cool things over there so far. Obviously, you know, you're a mailbag guy. You're still doing that every week. You started a column uh, that you sort of compared to like a Monday morning quarterback for, for college football. What are some things that you're most excited about in the new job that is going to be an opportunity that maybe you might not have had at SI? Or maybe that you would have anyway, but some things that you're looking forward right. to here. Yeah. Well, it's been really cool to team up with my friend Bruce Feldman, uh, who I've been friends with for 16 years, but never gotten to work with together. And we're doing a lot of stuff together. Uh, we're, we do our picks column together. We do a podcast together called The Audible. Um, and we're just generally coordinating our coverage with each other. You know, He's got his Sunday big picture column, and then I do what we're calling Forward Pass. Uh, used to be college football overtime, but we're changing the name uh, on Mondays. And then, of course, you know, one of the main reasons I came to Fox and one of the things I'm most excited about is the opportunity to do stuff with Fox Sports 1, um, you know, like a cable channel that's barely a year old that has a huge investment in college football. Um, we're doing this countdown to kickoff show every Friday night, um, and it's all new to me. I mean, I've made TV appearances before, but I've never been a regular like this my first weekend of the season, not at a game, but in a studio. So um, it, for me, it's really exciting. It's a new challenge. Uh, it's something I've never gotten to do before. And it's a new way to tell college football stories to the public. You know, I've done it in writing, and now I'm getting to, uh, to learn how to do it over the air and, and realizing it, it's very hard. And I have a whole new respect <laughs> for people to do it. 
Yeah, the forward pass column is great. Uh, I love uh, I love the the segments of it that will be re- reoccurring every week. I'm a big fan of that. I like the way you have it set up. I just read the one from uh, from the first before I called you. I really like coaches on the hot seat, looking ahead to the next weekend. There's a lot of great stuff in that. And uh, the podcast, what day are you usually going to be putting the podcast out? Uh, the podcast is going to go up on Wednesdays. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's been hard for us to keep a completely regular schedule, but that's the goal every Wednesday. Um, a little bit of a look back at the weekend before, but more spinning ahead for the holidays. You're the king of all college football media right now. you got a college football book out. College football podcast, college football columns, tweeting about college football. You're like the Howard Stern of college football right now. Oh, wow. That's a high compliment. <laughs> that's very nice to say. But I do think that that's the reality of journalism in 2014. I don't think people can just be one thing anymore. You've got to be kind of versatile. And, uh, and I'm not quite there yet, but uh, I'm working on it. Yeah, it sounds like you're really excited about the TV stuff. And we look forward to catching you on Fox Sports 1 and – do you, one last thing I want to ask you before you go. Is there a new lost in your world yet? Well, I'll tell you what. I, 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 between the new job and some other things, it's been a while since I even had a chance to sit down and watch uh, any TV series. I mean, there were some that I was really into last year. Were you I certainly Breaking got Bad really into Homeland. Um, I got in late on Breaking Bad, but caught up in time to watch the end in real time. Uh, Mad Men. Uh, what else? Um, I went back and watched, after loss, I went back and watched Friday Night Lights in its entirety and Battlestar Galactica, which I really like. But right now, kind of empty. I'm open to suggestions. Yeah, I, you know, I really like The Good Wife. I, I don't know, it's maybe not. Oh, yeah, we watched that one too. Yeah, I really like The Good Wife. I like Parenthood a lot. They're doing their last season this year on NBC. I didn't, I didn't bite on The Leftovers. It's just a little too joyless for me. I need a little something to uh, to enjoy, and it's just so grim. But heard that one's pretty bad. Yeah, it's just so grim. It, there's an interesting story there, but it's just there's nothing redeeming at all. Like just everything about it is is grim. But I wasn't too uh, excited about what I seen coming up the pipe this year. I don't know if I'm gonna ha- if I have a new one right now. I was big. I was a big Treme guy too. That finished last year, so I don't know. I'm I'm, a, I'm somewhat of a free agent like you are as well. I think one thing is. I'm not somebody who in the past would sit there and watch hours and hours of Sports Center. Uh, I really only watched it when I really needed to. But now I'm watching Fox Sports Live every night and America's pregame, which is on at 6 Eastern. So a lot of my viewing right now is my own employer, which is not not just like not just a kiss butt, but you know I think it's right. important to keep up with the show. I occasionally appear on it, so that's taking up a lot of my TV viewing time right now. Hopefully, what? I can be a little branch out a little bit more here uh, once the scripted series start up. Well, let me ask you this real quick then. If if we haven't watched a lot of Fox Sports One yet, what's the what's the what's the one thing we should jump in on and, and watch? Uh, what's the best show on Fox Sports One right now? Um, I really like uh, America's pregame. Not a lot of people know about it. It's fun at Big uh, Eastern every day during the week with Mike Hill and Molly McGrath, and they really cover a lot of ground. I mean, when I first started watching, I was like, "How how on earth do they have the money to do this?" You know, they have. Um, I mean, it's a lot right now, or in the, in the summer, it's been a lot of baseball, you know, a lot of going out to the ballpark and setting the singing before the game. Now, football's kicking up. They had someone on site, you know, a lot of someone on site at the various NFL games, at the college Thursday night games. Um, you know, it's just a really good lay of the land. Um, so, you know, Fox Sports Live is obviously awesome, too, but uh, I feel like people know about that one. They might not know as much about America's Pre. 
Sweet. Well, we really enjoyed having uh, a really cool uh, relationship with you, our SI. We're looking forward to, to, to following you here at Fox Sports, Fox Sports 1, uh, on foxsports.com, Twitter, all the places we mentioned. Thanks so much for doing this. Appreciate it. Hi, Steve. Thanks so much. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. We want to thank Trey Wingo, Michael Fabiano, and Stuart Mandel for being on the first podcast in quite a while. Don't forget you can find us, our new, our old podcast, including the last one we did with Aaron Schatz and Phil Taylor, www.sports-casters.com. You can find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters, and you can email us, thesportscasters at gmail.com. We took some time off this month, as we've been saying all summer, because I got married uh, to the former Miss Caster, now as Don recommended, we should call her the first lady of the sportscasters. Right. Uh, your wife will still be Mrs. Mrs. Caster. Sure. Uh, so we have a little bit of a new, uh, new, new names there. But um, yeah, it was a great month. It was a really, really good uh, wedding. It was very. Um, all the uh, people you hear about on the show were were a part of it. Uh, Don's wife, Mrs. Caster, played. A flute at the wedding. She did, yeah. She got some huge props for that, too. Yeah. A lot of people were telling me how much they like that. Uh, sort of, uh, let's see, let's try to think of some funny things to t- talk about. So, it was kind of drug out a little bit because we had to start off with uh, the rehearsal. was like, well, first, the first thing we did was pick up our suits, right? Like on Wednesday? Yes. Yeah, and that was highlighted by the fact that I got stung by a bee that day. I ended my streak of 33 years without being stung. This, by the way, is the part that if you don't care, yeah, uh, we'll give our Super Bowl picks at the end. Yeah. So if you want to fast forward to that and, Or part. I'll tweet them. Okay. If you don't hear our Super Bowl picks, I'll tweet them. Sure. But yeah, so I got stung by a bee. Started wedding season off pretty poorly. Uh, we got our suits. That was a that was a disaster. Uh, Tuxedo Junction probably gets about a C- minus for their work. <laughs> I think my suit was like a five-piece get-up and two of them fit. Yeah, the shirt and the pants fit. The shoes, the vest, the coat—all those no good. Shoes is a weird one to mess up. Yeah, they were way too small too. Mm. Uh, so that that was a real easy sort of day. Then the next day we had the rehearsal at the church, um, which uh, I don't know, whatever, right? Yeah, it was fine. Quick hour, sure. In and out. We got some dinner after. Uh, and then, so then mostly, so then on Friday we started and, uh, so you got to get people gifts, the people who stand up, you get them gifts. And I want to mention this is a sort of funny. So I got everyone custom Nike sneakers. Did your sneakers come yet? No. Hopefully soon. Uh, custom Nike sneakers. And since they are getting mailed to them, I bought them sneakers from the Salvation Army and wrapped them. And my brother, Greg, totally like fell for it. Did he? Yeah, he threw the sneakers at me. He was like offended initially, like, what is this gift? <laughs> so I thought that was really funny. I got everyone uh, custom sneakers. I fell for it in that I didn't know like why there were on. sneakers there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> sneakers that weren't my size and uh, had like a four ninety nine price tag on right. it. Right. Well, so it was really hard to think of something. Yeah. It was really hard. Like, I did not know what to get people. And I thought of that idea... And I was like, all right, I can live with that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So that was really hard. Um, we had a really great rehearsal dinner. There was a lot of people there. 
probably more than most people's rehearsal dinners. Uh, we oh, went, yeah, I would guess so. We yeah. went with like a cheaper dinner and more people. Whereas like my brother Greg, when he got married, he had much less people, but he had a much nicer dinner. Okay. So I had fun. It was cool. Yeah, that was a really good night. Uh, my dad was nice enough to let there be an open bar all night. People got to drink and have fun, and it was a really good time. And then, so a couple funny things about the wedding. One is that I was mic'd up at the wedding. I heard that afterward, and yeah. they had to take your mic during pictures well, or something? No, they, they mic'd. The, so we didn't pay for a video, but our photographer bought a video camera and asked us if he could tape the wedding as like a demo for him. Okay, so he'll use it as a demo, and then he'll give you right. a copy. And he or said, something. "You know, you can have it." Sure. And so we we're oh, okay. That's yeah, cool. we're like, yeah, sure, no problem. Well, I didn't know I'd be mic'd up, so he put a wireless mic on me. And if you've ever seen a, a church in a Catholic a wedding in the Catholic Church, the huge negative is that Miss uh, the first lady of the Swordscasters, myself, uh, my brother Anthony, the best man, and uh, Tammy's friend Jill, the maid of honor. You have to kneel a lot of the there's time. There's a lot of kneeling, yeah. And there's, I just spent a lot of the downtime saying things into my mic, <laughs> like so knowing it's there, right? So, okay, so we, to be we would be like sitting there, and I, I look down, like I should take this time to pray to Drew Brees since <laughs> we are in the church. God, please protect Drew Brees. <laughs> I just want this to be reflected on the record on the video. And then, like the priest would say something in time go by, and be like. Oh yeah, I should pray for the rest of the saints as well. <laughs> <laughs> and uh like so then the altar children walk by one time and I'd be like, I hope the camera got a shot of that. These altar children are doing a fantastic job. <laughs> <laughs> so you essentially used it to do play by play. Yeah, so I was like having some fun with that, talking into the thing. And uh that was whatever. We got married, we left, uh we took some pictures, the weather was sort of iffy, but the rain held out. Yeah, it held out, it was yeah. cool. And then the number one thing we should mention about the reception is we had the worst DJ in the history of weddings. Yeah. You could not get a worse DJ. I, I don't know. He did it digitally. So, like, he had, like, a modern setup. And he had a tablet of some sort. I don't know if it was and an it iPad sh- it or wasn't. whatever. It should have been so easy for him. It seems like it. And it just – he just couldn't get it. He was hitting buttons. Uh, songs were starting and then starting again. I definitely heard uh, – you had a cool, like for me, and I'm, most people probably don't even notice this stuff, but like there's a playlist while you're eating. Yeah. A lot of times people play stuff like Frank Sinatra, just mellow or music mm-hmm. for dinner. Yours was a lot of like uh, light, lighter Pearl Jam songs. Every other song was a Pearl hit. Jam song. Okay. Yeah. I know for a fact, and I can't remember which song, but I know I heard a song three times. I can tell you exactly why it happened. Okay. So we made on Spotify a playlist, a dinner playlist. Sure. Okay. And then one of the other playlists was called Bennett Wedding Music. And on that list was songs that he would need throughout the night and also requests, things that we wanted played during the dancing time. Well, the the reception had a uh, a, a baked Alaska dessert thing. Yeah. And there was – we used a song, Shot at the Night by the Killers. Right. So he stopped the dinner playlist – Played Shot at the Night on the other playlist, and when he went back to the dinner playlist, apparently didn't know where he left off. 
<laughs> and maybe just arbitrarily pick the spot. Yeah, I swear I can't remember what song it was. Footsteps but I, was the Pearl Jam song. I, I heard it a heard couple times. Yeah, yeah. And then that shot at the night song then came up during the dancing, and I had to go up to them and yell at them and say, you guys got to step it up. Like, you realize you've just played that half an hour ago <laughs> for a different purpose. I, I didn't catch that one. And then I got Tammy yelled at him as well, and they threatened to walk. Really? Yeah. Uh, and I guess Tammy's mom soothed it over. But uh, <laughs> they totally botched the intros. You couldn't hear the music. Uh, they didn't play. Didn't Tammy was supposed to come into the Hulk Hogan intro. Yeah, and it's, I was, hear it. it started start like halfway through your walk in. It yeah. was just horrible. They were the worst DJs ever. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't good. There was another time during cocktail hour where I came in and noticed that one of the speakers was set up facing the photo booth, was like directly into the photo booth. Right. And I was like, you guys have to move that. Yeah. Nobody can hear anything coming out of that. Now, on the plus side, uh, as someone that was at the wedding, now I, I, I know from like being in the wedding party and talking to you and stuff that there were mistakes, but I bet you most of it nobody even caught. Some of it was obvious. Well, the, the worst was the intro music. <laughs> the intro was the worst intro ever. Yeah, that that was all of that was that botched. was not well done. Yeah, yeah. and we yeah, I mean we met with them five times. We had a detailed list of Ugh. what to do, when to do it, how to do it, what to say. Right. There was nothing we could have done, and uh, I knew from the beginning he was a horrible DJ, but he was a lot less than everyone else. Okay. And I thought, well, as long as he's justifies the difference in price it'll work and he just didn't no it was just a nightmare it was fun though the wedding was fun so it was a great wedding we had a lot of fun uh food was really good yeah uh we got to go on a honeymoon we went to las vegas and a cool thing in las vegas is we got to take out one of the sportscasters super fans to dinner oh yeah i saw that how did that go oh it went great um i gotta thank ford because he made me look really cool really you know like i was i was like all right so we joke about the miniatureness of us, right? And we we're right, but we between joking, we're we're on one end of the spectrum. Or the other. We either joke how big we are or how small we are, but yeah. right. And uh, we joke about our our show and and how we we turn. I was joking at the rehearsal dinner how someone was tweeting me about our business model. <laughs> yeah. You know, someone wanted, and I said, "Well, right now it's we turn down all offers." Right. You know, we try to remain, but I think. You know, for my new wife to travel with me to Las Vegas, and there's this guy who wants to meet me. And I'll say this, and he was nervous. I'll really? just say that. He was a little bit nervous, I think. Huh. And uh, he's probably going to hear this. So I, uh, you know, it was a great time. I was so glad we got to do it. And I want to thank him so much because he made me look way more important than I am. To Tammy. Yeah. I mean, oh, okay. You know, for her to go with her, hu- her new husband all the way across the country, and there's someone there really excited to meet me. And to have dinner with me. Oh, that's cool. talk to me. I mean, it made me look really cool. How was dinner? It was a great dinner. We you bought him a nice Italian dinner. Italian joint, right? Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. really nice. We bought him a really nice dinner. Sweet. So it's a, the moral of the story is be a big fan of us, and we will take you to a very nice dinner. <laughs> In Vegas. In yeah. Vegas, yeah. Uh, Anything else we should talk about with the wedding? I don't think so. Probably enough as it is, right? How many people are still listening? Does your mom still listen? <laughs> Very few. <laughs> Matt might be listening still. I'm sure Ford is listening oh, still. Oh, I know. So this is a funny thing about Matt. So Matt got very drunk at the stag. Yeah, and I feel and bad then, for this. Oh, both of you actually. Oh, yeah. I for, almost forgot this. This is the best thing. So at the wedding, Don and Matt got drunk and then thought that they could hang with Anthony 
and his friends. So after the wedding... Yeah, that was false. Yeah. After the wedding, Don and Matt decided to go out with Anthony and his friends, which I thought was downtown, but actually because of where we were, they ended up going to Brandon's, which is this place on Main Street. Not downtown. So they actually got a break sort of there. Sure. Probably a little bit easier to hang there. Sure. Probably didn't go as late. But uh, what the hell did you text Michelle that was hilarious? Do you remember what it was? I didn't have my phone, so I didn't text her anything. Oh, well, then you told her something that you were a stallion. No, I told Tammy. Oh, you told Tammy. Tammy you said, you're, you're, you're going out tonight or something, huh? And I go, Tammy, I'm a stallion. Yeah. <laughs> now, I feel a little bit bad for whatever you're going to say about Matt because I felt like I was really drunk at your stag. Uh, and I worse. felt like I was really drunk at the wedding. And he was worse. And he was probably yeah. worse. So he's bailed me out kind of so twice he, here. So he, uh, he went to the – he. So he told Michelle um, that he feels young again on text message. Okay, and he that, texted her. And okay. he was saying he was Pittsburgh rich, which he is. And uh, I told him that in the limo uh-huh. while he was sober. So that was – but that's so, funny that he brought that up. Yeah, so he ended up – like, so I think his wife was really trying as best as she could to be cool with everything. Uh-huh. You know, like being a really good sport about it. Like, hey, this is his buddy's wedding. He's standing up. Let's let him have fun. Sure. So she lets him go out, and she's showing me the messages, and we're joking about it. And but I think she was a little nervous that she didn't sleep; she stayed up. Yeah, so, she was up with your with your stepfather. Yeah, in the hotel. Uh, when we Matt went back. locked her out of the room. She didn't get to sleep in the room. <laughs> I Matt went into the room, passed out with the door locked, and Michelle did not make it in. So Michelle ended up sleeping like on a chair that. in my mom's friend from Mary's room. I did not know, and that. I can't imagine that ended. Went well. No, I did not know that story. Uh, in my defense, when I thought I could hang with him, by the time I got to the bar, I had like half a drink, and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm done. I'm done." <laughs> so I felt like is I felt great the next day because I cut myself off, and uh, I just talked to uh, your brother's wife and uh, his buddy's wife most of the time. While Laura Anthony, and Casey, yeah. Well, your brother was pretty silly, Anthony. He was. Uh, stealing the fountain like dispenser from behind the bar and i think they had to yell at him for that but, uh, <laughs> uh yeah so i i was actually kind of a bystander to the whole thing but yeah that that was a fun night i couldn't remember where my room was i just knew i was on the seventh floor so me and anthony were your brother were looking for my room which luckily michelle heard because she ended up dragging me into the room before we got yelled at or anything but uh yeah it was a good night uh my summer wasn't nearly as – I mean, I guess I was there for all that, so that was really cool. Uh, I've been busy, but it's mostly been about uh, my kid, my second kid, which will be around yeah, about, October, about, right? a, about a month, a little over a month from now. So we painted his room. We got his crib put together. So we're we're about as ready as you can be. There's a little, a couple little other things we got to do, but – we got to name him. I guess that's something that we haven't come up with a name. So if anyone wants to text and, <laughs> or tweet me names. Yeah. Danger has been well established. People want right. danger yeah. to be the middle name because it'd be danger rust. Right. Which is cool, I guess. But I'm I not... think you should go junior. I think people who don't end up regretting it. Go junior. Yeah. I think you should. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. What do I know? I don't know anything. My about... daughter keeps saying we should name him Donnie. Yeah. So there's so many girls names that I like. Yeah, and now when that's it comes where to at. guy names, yeah. I, I don't know. That's I don't know what's a good too. guy and name. Any game we like, it's like one of our best friends or something just had a kid, and they named it that same thing, so it would be weird a little bit. But, yeah. So that, this is the longest one last thing about yeah, that. Yeah, and uh, along those lines, we have pulled the goalie. Oh. So. Would Tammy want that on the air? 
Well, yeah, I think everyone probably assumes it anyway. Sure, right, right? once you, get, mean, married, you get married. Yeah. We're not young. We don't want to be changing diapers at 61 years old, I don't <laughs> think, you know? Well, good luck. All right. Uh, the last thing to do then, as we said, Super Bowl picks. I'll start. I'll say this. In the AFC, I have no idea who's winning the AFC. Everyone seems to love New England or Denver, right? It's like it's going to sure. be New England or it's going to be Denver. Denver made it last year and seems to have improved, maybe. Yeah. I mean, their I defense guess. is better. Uh, Decker's gone, but, you know, Sanders looks good. Uh, Moreno's gone, but Bell's probably better. Yeah. Or Ball, I'm sorry. Yeah, Monty Ball. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'm going to have to stick with Denver, but I don't feel great about it. I don't think it's New England. I don't know why so many people are so into New England. I don't know about them. I think it's just... I'll I'll go with Denver, and in the NFC, I think it's there's three teams, maybe four who can win. First is Seattle, and if Seattle gets home field advantage, they're going back to the Super Bowl. No one is going to win yeah. uh, a, a championship game there. They're just not. Uh, Green Bay, I think, has a great claim if Rodgers can stay healthy, but I think the BJ Raji injury hurts them. And then I think the Saints are another team that if they can play the playoff games in the Superdome, they're probably going to go to the Super Bowl. Um, There's something about that next year. The last nine Super Bowl champions have no playoff wins the following year. Yeah, and something like 40% haven't even made the playoffs. Just something happens, and I'm going to bank on that for Seattle, and I think if Seattle don't make it, the Saints have the next best legitimate claim. So I'll say the Saints and the Broncos, and I'm not picking against the Saints in the Super Bowl. Sure. My last year's prediction, I believe, was Green Bay at New England, and I think I'm going to stick with it. Uh, I still think Aaron Rodgers is the – I share the opinion of Damashek that Aaron Rodgers is probably the best quarterback in the league. I just think he's, he, pretty great. he's a combination uh, of the running quarterback along with the arm. He just, just can't stay on the field. And I think the thing about New England that maybe uh, – people like so much about them it's almost like a default pick i think like they're going to get that second buy at worst right i mean the afc just isn't that strong and their division the afc east isn't that strong i don't think the jets miami or buffalo are ready to make a jump and challenge new england so it's the kind of conference that is open to someone emerging though right someone that isn't on our radar it's it's a good year to try to find your way in sure yeah but, I mean, that could be someone like Pittsburgh that didn't make it last year or Baltimore. Right. I just think New England's got the easiest track, maybe, of any team other than Denver to a bye. And then it's just a matter of winning two games with uh, one of the best quarterbacks of all time as your quarterback. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. for no other reason than to not pick Denver, I'm going to say New England versus Green Bay, and I just hope Aaron Rodgers can stay healthy. 